All right. The Last Jedi. We, I don't think we ever talked. I don't think I ever had an episode about Rogue One. And we, so I guess we could uh, – we should focus on The Last Jedi, I think. But uh, if we s- sneak in some Rogue One, that, that's, that's – I, yeah, I think that's I'm, all right. I'm all for that. Uh, Rogue One came out when the world exploded. So I don't think anybody was in the mood to talk about it. <laughs> so at, at the highest level, what do you guys think of the last? And I, I'll just say this, by the way, for listeners of the show, if you're if you haven't picked up already, this is going to be totally spoiler. If this is an assumption that anybody who really cares about this right now at the end of December 2017, you've already seen The Last Jedi. You want to hear about it. Uh, if not. And you don't care about spoilers, keep listening if you want to. But if you really want to see the movie without having listened to three nerds really get into nitty-gritty details and spoil anything and everything that we want to, hit the pause button right now and save this podcast in your your podcast player of choice until you see the movie. But shame on you for not having seen this movie already, honestly. All right, that disclaimer out of the way. What you guys What'd you guys think of the movie overall? I loved it. And uh, how many times I have, I have how, how many times you see it? Uh, twice. I was trying to go see it again yesterday and today, but uh, you know, life gets in the way. Um, I have problems with it. I have structural problems with it, but there's a reason I love it, and I think we'll get into that after. But all in all, like such a positive feeling about this movie. It's not even funny. Some kind of middle of the road John. on this one. I've seen it twice. Uh, the things I dis the reason I feel like I'm kind of on the outside here is the things I dislike about it are not the things that I hear other people dislike about it. Like there's a lot of noise from the people who don't like this movie, but whatever they're mad about is not what's causing me to be middle of the road. So I enjoyed watching it, uh, and it was definitely interesting, uh, and it is one of the more interesting Star Wars movies in a long time to talk about. Um, but I think I'm not entirely sure it it gels as a. Uh, as a movie and as a narrative uh, for for a, a bunch of reasons, most of which are minor and have nothing to do with Star Wars and everything to do with just basic movie making stuff. That's the thing. Like a lot of people are mad about this movie for Star Wars related reasons. And the things that uh, made it not connect to me or not not work with me in certain ways don't really have much to do with Star Wars. Um, so, so I'm kind of middle of the road on it. I mean, I'm, is it also one of those movies that I'm interested to see what it will be like when I see it again, like when it comes on video or whatever? Because I found with Rogue One, speaking of that movie, that I saw that, I think I saw it once in the theater, but I was surprised at how it changed when it came out on video and I watched it again. So I think it does help to get some distance from these movies. And to be clear, I, I liked Rogue One a little bit better when I saw it on video. So we'll see how Last Jedi turns out. But it's definitely uh, a change of pace. And so it's, you know, it's intriguing. I had the same reaction to Rogue One, where I kind of came out of Rogue One thinking pretty good, you know, good enough that it's over the 50-yard line. I, I feel like it's it's a good movie and a good Star Wars movie, but a little, yeah, a little, you know, not even sure why they made the movie. Like, And then watching it on home video, I was like, you know what? This is pretty damn good. This is better than I remember from the theater, and I don't know why that is. Uh, and it's always, to me, a good sign. It's a good sign for most movies. There's a f- very few movies that shouldn't be rewatchable, but I think it's essential for a Star Wars movie. Like it's it's part of the entire idea of a Star Wars movie is that you should be able to watch this over and over, like lose track of how many times you've seen it over the years and still get into it. Yeah, and I think all these movies for people of our age, uh, the problem with on the first watch, maybe even on the second watch, if it's closely followed by that, is. There's a whole Star Wars part of our brain, like those, those 
those old brain diagrams to show what the you know people's brains are divided up into and they they would show like the men's brains the huge section of sports or whatever which is probably true of john's brain but uh uh in in all of our brains i think there is a big quadrant uh sectioned off for star wars because it informs so many things about our life so it's very difficult when watching a movie that is a star wars movie to like disengage that part and take the movie on its own merits because at least on initial viewing, the Star Wars part is fully engaged, and it's like, and and especially it's like, uh, it's like you got like PTSD from the prequels, right? So it's like fight or flight response is constantly there. Like, what's what's gonna happen? Do we have to do we have to flee? Is it gonna be, you know? And so it helps to relax. Um, and I think I think the Force Awakens helped my brain to relax a little bit because that was that was yeah. the real important one to get me out of like the dark times, right? And I was able to be more, more relaxed with The Last Jedi, but I still feel, even on two viewings, that I want to see it one more time in video just to see if I can, you know, take it in in its fullness without, uh, without preconceived notions. I almost, I, I, I almost hesitate to presuppose and, and say what J.J. Abrams was trying to do with The Force Awakens, but I, I feel in my gut that, that what you just said was part of his goals for The, the Force Awakens was to sort of here's two hours of this is going to be okay. This trilogy is going to be okay. And I say this as perhaps in our gang of star Wars nerds, the one who's the least critical of the prequel trilogy. Like I I've certainly, you know, we've talked about it on past star Wars holiday spectaculars. There's obviously a lot of problems with it. Uh, and I, I feel though that amongst people of my generation, I'm one of the least critical of that trilogy of the people I know. Well, and, I, and I I've don't said want, it before us. Yeah. Far be it for me to I've fight you for that dubious honor. But uh, right. I was trying to get Snell to do the prequels, cover the prequels on the incomparable, but only have people say nice things about them. Hmm. I would I'd have to be on that on because I that's it. impossible. But <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, I like you. There's some things that are cool about them. Uh, yeah. And in, importantly, and this will come up later as we talk about why, while I agree with uh, Syracuse about everything that he's about to say about movie making, I love this as, as a piece of art. I, I think it's great. Hmm. Um, but the prequels informed a lot of people, like, like John was saying, that you know, we have a section of our brain carved out for Star Wars. Like it or not, there's a bunch of people who had the prequels carve out a similar section for them, right? And this yeah. movie sort of tries to bring that together a little bit. And I appreciate yeah. it for yeah, it. Yeah, I think so. Um, I, for, for my, I, I, John, it's got to be true for your kids, but for Jonas, Jonas saw no distinction. Between, I've said this before. It's one of the things is that the, Jonas really he loved Star Wars he still loves Star Wars but the kids my my son is uh about to turn 14 uh 8th grade and it, his generation of friends all seemed to like Star Wars they had lots of toy lightsabers and they all knew them but the the two trilogies the two first two trilogies just all blur together for them and and they don't there's no they they get it you know but they don't really see them as like two distinct entities which is crazy to me because there's <laughs> It's so different in style, uh, but the kids just don't. And and to me, the best example exemplification of this is the uh, the Star Tours ride at uh, Disney World, where you you're like uh, the the gimmick of the ride is that you're going on some kind of consumer flight, and all of a sudden you're you're uh, taken away into uh, uh, part of the 
you know, uh, something bad happens and, and your consumer little shuttle is wrapped up in adventures and you, they randomize it. So you go through, uh, it's like a flight simulator, like in a big bus type thing. Um, and they have scenes from a whole bunch of movies and you get like a random like first act and second act each time you go on. So the next time you go on, you probably will get two entirely different things, but they mix and match the first half and the second half. Uh, but what the way they do it drives me nuts as a Star Wars fan because it's like the first half might be like on the the Wookiee planet. What is it? Kashyyyk. And you're you're in the Clone Wars in a Clone War battle. And then in the next one, you're in uh, – uh, you know, uh, Endor in the other trilogy. It's like just by flying through or a Hoth or something like that. You're in Empire Strikes Back. It's crazy. How can you suddenly you're just jumped thirty years? It doesn't make any sense, but it <laughs> it makes sense to the kids. <laughs> I don't know. How to Wait, you should it. know it's not the same for my son because I didn't show my son the prequels. So he's we're, we're, oh, that's pre- right, that's right, free household here. Oh my. That's right. I totally forgot about. How could I forget that? You're a terrible father. No, I'm that a great awful. father, and, uh, and he does watch the uh, <laughs> uh, Clone Wars uh, TV series and uh, Star Wars Rebels, both of which are better than the prequels. So he does understand yeah. that that timeline more <laughs> or less. He still hasn't seen them. He still hasn't seen the I prequels. I think he saw Revenge of the Sith at a sleepover party many years ago. <laughs> I'm, I'm, but then I yanked him out of that. And he... No, no, he saw it. I mean, who knows? He might have fallen asleep during part of it. But that was that was um, several years ago. And I think he's seen bits and pieces of the other ones like in YouTube clips and stuff. But that's about <laughs> it. I do love it. I love it where it's like in our family, the the the, the debate was like, how old does he have to be before he can see The Shining? <laughs> the answer <laughs> was like family. four or whatever. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like The Exorcist family, is about seven. Yeah. So you can, you can yeah. go from there. No, but I mean, they, but, well, the important part for me was to show my kids the real Star Wars movies over and over and over and over again before they ever knew the prequels existed. So they, I imprinted them on real yeah. Star Wars, and everything else is yeah. properly filed in their mind as expansion material. You know, yeah. I, I love that your <laughs> training technique for your kids is identical to the clones as we see in Attack of the Clones. Oh, they they asked to see Star Wars. I didn't like that. They, they would ask me, you know, Daddy, put in Return of the Jedi. You know, like it's not like I was forcing them to watch it with the Ludovico technique to bring up more of uh, John's favorite movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, let me take a break here uh, and thank our first sponsor. It's our good friends at Fracture. You guys know Fracture. They make. You you give them your photos, they print them on glass, they ship them to you. They're fantastic gifts. Well, guess what? It's too late for the holidays. Now, I told you back in Thanksgiving that you needed to get your fractures in before Christmas because they get back ordered. But now that it's after Christmas, you've really got no chance of getting this in time for Christmas unless you like like the Star Tours vehicle, like you can somehow time travel. Uh, so forget about it. But keep them in mind for any future event birthdays, Mother's Day, Father's Day, any kind of thing where you have to get a gift. I, I, I am the, I hate picking gifts for people and I'm bad at it, which might be why I hate doing it. And fracture prints given to friends and family uh, are the best gift. I've never once done it and not gotten an effusive response. And the best thing about it is you can keep doing it over and over and over again as long as you pick new photos to have printed. I mean, don't just print the same photo and expect them to appreciate a second copy of the same photo. Just, you know, if you've got kids, annual pictures of your kids and give them to all of the grandparents. And I'm telling you, you will be heralded as the best gift giver in the family. It is a fantastic 
product. It is an easy way to give great gifts. I really just keep them in mind. I, I it's changed my gift giving life for the better. Um, I really can't say enough about them. Also, they're a green company right here in the U.S. They have a carbon neutral factory where they make these things down in uh, beautiful Gainesville, Florida. Um, so you can feel good about it in that way. Go to Fracture.me. That's our website. And if you remember this code, TALK15, T-A-L-K, like talk show, uh, 15, uh, you'll save 15% off your first Fracture order. Get it? 15 for 15%? There you go. Uh, don't forget to mention this podcast in our one question survey. And I'm pretty sure that one question is, where did you hear about fracture? That's, that's what it is. All right. So my thoughts, I like this movie a lot. I think I liked it better than the force awakens, but I'm not sure. I honestly feel like I almost have to, I I walked out of the theater on the first viewing thinking I like this movie better than the force awakens. Now I'm thinking, I don't know, maybe I need to do the Syracuse thing and wait seven months for it to come out on home video to no, make final I don't judgment. Think it'll be, but on, on the whole, I don't like think it. it'll be seven months. I, I liked, uh, for the record, I like Force Awakens uh, much better than this. I've always been sure about it. And I continue to be sure. We'll see. Maybe it'll <laughs> change when I see it in video, but very solidly, Force Awakens is head and shoulders above this for me. I really like, I uh, love the Force Awakens too. Um, but all of this talk after this one came out about sort of like stack ranking these things, I don't care. I just gave up. It's tough to stack rank them. I tried to do them too, and I started to get fuzzy, you know, in the, the, the once you go below Empire Strikes Back, it's hard. But, but, you know, like just two movies. Forget about all the other movies. Just these two movies, uh, Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. Are they tied? I mean, you can pick a tie if you feel like you can't pick one or the other, but like, yeah. are they close? It's the thing, and we will get into it, but as a movie, I believe The Force Awakens is a tighter, more concise, and a better movie. Yeah. As a sequel or as part of mythology, which I think we'll get into, uh, I think that this serves a tremendous role that does a little bit of damage to it in terms of being a coherent movie, but serves the greater whole. I don't know. If that, I, I know what you're saying, but I don't think those two things need to be connected. Right. Like, I don't, I don't think it's necessary to like if you're going to, you know, because this last I just changed things up and I get where you're coming from that you like that. But it doesn't mean that it, you have to sacrifice being a coherent narrative to do that. You don't have to like that. It, maybe it's a higher degree of difficulty. But honestly, I think the degree of difficulty of The Force Awakens coming off the prequels and trying to balance all these different factors and introduce new characters while, you know, like it was a huge like the degree of difficulty with Force Awakens was tremendous. Um, this movie was perhaps more ambitious but I, I think the degree of difficulty at best is a tie between them. So uh, I, I agree, and there's flaws with it. Um, to be honest, I walked out being happy that we had Star Wars worth talking about again. And that I mean, meant I mean, a lot to me in a, you know, in a real childish way. And, and you know, it, it tickled that section of my brain that came up on this stuff. Yeah. Here's 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 my question, and it's why I started by uh, including a question of how you liked it compared to The Force Awakens. Is is to me the more important question is does this feel like the second part of a trilogy, which I think is important to a Star Wars, uh, and and I do feel that one of the strengths of the uh, prequel trilogy is that those three movies all feel like they are of a piece. Whether you like them or don't like them or feel mad about them, those three movies feel like three parts of one long story that is meant to be told three in three movies. And the first trilogy, the beloved original trilogy, I think does a great job of it 
with the exception of the fact, the ex- totally excusable exception of the fact that the first movie, originally Star Wars, then retitled A New Hope, but I'll call it Star Wars Till I Die, w- was made in a way that if he never got to make another movie, you know, he, he, yeah. in the back of his George Lucas's mind was, I would love to make a trilogy out of this. I'd love to make a nine part thing out of this, but who knows if they'll ever let me near a budget like this again. So it has to stand on its own as a, this is the only movie that's ever made in this thing. Uh, And I think even given that, which is reasonable, and I thought very smart on his part, it still works as the first part of what feels like a three-part movie. Yeah, this movie is weird. What do you guys think about it? I get what you're saying. Like, does does this feel like, uh, um, I guess another way of saying is, does this feel like a natural follow-up to Force Awakens? And I think a lot has been made of the director change, and like you know, mm-hmm. JJ set up all this stuff, like the, the mysterious Snoke, and wondering about who Ray's parents are, and the dramatic handing of the lightsaber between Ray and Luke, right? And it seemed like at every turn that Ryan Johnson uh, undercut that. Uh, you were worried about the lightsaber thing, undercut with it with a gag. You're worried about Ray's parents. Uh, we're going to tell you that that's not important. You're worried about Snoke, sliced in half, right? It's just all like it seemed like you could say there's disagreement about how this new trilogy is going to go. Um, maybe there is some of that, but I think that doesn't mean that it doesn't feel like it is a natural follow-up. Part of what a sequel has to do, I think, is to subvert your expectations to some degree. Um, and all the original Star Wars had different directors, right? It wasn't, it was, uh, uh, it looks to the first one, then Kirshner, then the French guy for Jedi. Uh, Richard Marquand. Yeah. Uh, um, I can't remember any of the new character names. I can't remember any of the new character names. I remember uh, Neen Num. I, I mean, you name the obscure character. Yeah. I remember Richard Marquand. Richard Marquand, we could go into that. It, it, it sort of, if you look at like his IMDb or like you'd never heard of any of his movies. Like Irvin Kirshner, you wouldn't think from his body of work that he'd direct a Star Wars movie, but he did direct some interesting movies. Like the one that hits closest to home for me is Never Say Never Again. The, the, one and only non-Eon production James Bond movie where Sean Connery came back to the role, which is actually kind of a terrible movie, but I don't think it was Irvin Kirshner's fault. But, but it was right around it the does, same time, it, right? Like 82 right. kind of thing? No, it was 80... It was close. It was like 85. Oh, okay. So it was, it was after Age Jedi. Okay. Yeah. No. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, who knows? It, it is. It shows. It does show, though, that the three movies have different yeah, directors. But, but what I'm getting at is, like, so the, the original Star Wars had three different directors and very different movies, but they still feel like a trilogy. So here's uh, two movies we've got so far with different directors and potentially one director have, having philosophical disagreements about how this trilogy should go and saying all those mm-hmm. things, that, all those pins that you set up for me. I'm not just going to knock them down. I'm going to undercut them so that they uh, they appear comical or become unimportant or just mm. essentially neutralized. But... I think that's part, like I said, the part of the tradition of sequels right down to one of my one of my favorite sequel moments as a kid was uh, realizing how clever it was to have The Empire Strikes Back open on a snow planet. This was in, mm-hmm. in the years before video games made this trope like hammered into our brains where you got the lava world, the, the water world, the snow world, so on and so forth. But like, the, you know, the whole thing of Star Wars was this desert planet, right? And then they're in space and right. And the second movie, you're like, I wonder what's going to be happening with Luke and his speeder and his X-Wing and Death Star in space and a right. desert. And it's like snow, just snow, snow everywhere. Right. Right. And uh, th- that maybe that wasn't undercutting was snow, you know, sand and deserts wasn't set up as like the theme of Star Wars. But that's all we had. So I, I'm I'm willing to give wide latitude to 
uh, contrast with the movie that comes before in potentially surprising ways. Yep. Um, but I do feel like there was so much undercutting that I'm I'm wondering if uh, if the narrative has taken a turn. And this is made more interesting in this trilogy because JJ is coming back for the third one, so he finally gets to have the last right. word. So this could be a swerve. Or J.J. could take this ball and run with it wherever they think this ball is going. Um, but th- this is getting at with this being an interesting movie. Um, if it didn't have that interest, if it just followed straight through from where the last, uh, where uh, Force Awakens was headed, you could still make a great movie out of it, but we'd kind of start to see where it's going. Whereas The Last Jedi threw everything into chaos, and it makes us you know, have really no idea what the heck's going to happen in the next movie. But didn't Empire do that? In the in the first trilogy, yeah, kind of. I mean, yeah, they had the big the, the big dramatic revelation there, which is like I didn't, you know, I didn't see that coming. Even though his his name means father in German, like you know, it's not. Well, it's not just that. I mean, we start with the rebels in a desolate, cold yeah, well, I mean, you place they, where they're they going to die after the after an immediate victory. Yeah, but they were getting medals at the end of the last movie. You can't go like, uh, and now they polish their medals for the next movie. You got to put them back in, into peril. So. Look, I, I agree I, with you, but the subversion of expectations is what a good sequel does. And I think yeah. when we see Luke toss the lightsaber over his shoulder, what do you think Yoda would do if he was presented with the lightsaber he fought uh, Palpatine with? Give you some he would soup. not – he'd make some soup. He'd make some soup. He'd, yeah. he'd turn it into a cooking <laughs> element. Yeah, that's probably what we'd do. Turn it into a hot, a hot, a hot burner. Uh, I do think th- I think that's true. And in general, it's just as 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 a general idea, people who care about movies tend to say, I mean, this has been true since they made the, I don't know what the first sequel was ever made to a Hollywood movie. But the general idea is sequels suck. Right. That's that's just, uh, you know, put a number two after a movie and everybody says, ah, it sucks. It's nowhere near, near as good as the original. And many sequels do suck. But that's only you know, A, that's only true because most movies suck. Uh, it's hard to make a good movie, and it's a lot easier to make a bad movie. And and But there's also one pattern that most bad sequels fall into, which is trying to recapture whatever it was that made the first movie great. But, but with more right? of whatever it. Like, it was so that, if there was battles in the first right. movie, there's battles in the second movie, but they're bigger. And if you you know you had this character that people liked in the first movie, put that character even more in the second movie. Like, not, not bringing anything right. new, but just taking everything that was in the first movie bring it over to the new one right. and turn all the dials up and that always makes for a bad sequel. But but wait, right. I don't and think Empire nor this movie did that really. Yeah, and that's what I think what John is getting at. Right. No, I think yeah, that's it. yeah, I'm not I'm not saying that I think that's why Empire is stands up as one of it's seriously, I've said this before, I will say it till the day I die probably unless unless some really fantastic movies come out in the next 10 years, you know, whatever <laughs> my lifespan is. <laughs> Is that it? Is that, is that your timeline? Ten years? <laughs> I was gonna say forty years, and I'm sitting here. I am four year lifespan. Next well, is let's, seven. Let's be, yeah, we're uh, we're getting up there. But no, then ten's pushing it, buddy. Oh, by the way, it dibs on during fireball.org. Uh, you 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 got it. I, I want the dot com. Uh, I you know I think that's part of what made and you know the, yeah my other one of my other beloved franchises the James Bond series effectively does exactly what I'm saying a good sequel doesn't do which is you know here's a bad guy he's got a lair he's got an evil plot to take over the world and James Bond falls in you know falls in love with a beautiful woman and uh, gets the bad guy in the end and has a nice car at some point that he smashes into a million pieces halfway through the movie I'm not sure, uh, I'm not sure it's really love John to be honest. 
you know, Sometimes the James Bond series, but that, you know, it, it's not like it's James Bond one, James Bond two. It's like, it's almost like the James, to me, the James Bond series has sort of defined a genre of movie and they just keep making movies in that genre. So it's not so much sequelitis as, you know, there's just a, a well, they, they, a they have many Bond loops moviness. of sequels, like the Daniel Craig ones, uh, arguably, right. you know, there's a little right. timeline, a little, loop which are there, new, right. And, and, you know, arguably but in some a, of the sequels, they tried to do what was good about Casino right. Royale, but more. And it was like, eh, not right. you know what I mean, and like and yeah. they'll hit the reset exactly. button, and then they'll they'll get to do it again. I, I right. Whereas the old, the older ones with Connery and Bond, you really it doesn't matter what order you watch them in. It does, there's no there's really no rhyme or reason to it. You know, there's no uh, there's the one stupid scene in the George Lazenby one where he, he's quitting the Secret Service and he opens his desk drawer, and there's like mementos from all of the. Sean Connery movies, but you know that that the, the movie sucked. Uh, no, I, I think that Empire was part of what makes Empire my favorite Star Wars movie, one of my favorite movies of all time. Period, and I just think a truly great movie. I, I really think it's so well constructed. But part of it is that it didn't try to be like the first movie at all. It, it, it's just different in so many ways, and I think that's very true of um, the Last Jedi. I think that The Last Jedi plays on some uh, things from previous Star Wars movies, but I can't really say that it was like any other Star yeah, Wars movie. It was movie. a little handicapped by the fact that uh, that J.J. kind of did a lead into the next movie, which, as you noted before, Star Wars couldn't do because who knew if there would even be a next movie, right. so you can't do that lead in, right? But so, because when Star Wars ends, like, yeah, they get all the medals, blah, blah, blah. An Empire starts. We have no idea that Luke's going to go off to see someone named Yoda and be trained as a Jedi. like. Right. There's, there's nothing in the first movie that mentions Yoda or hints that he's going to go on. It's introduced to us in Empire. You know, Ghost Ghost right. Ben comes and says, you must go to the Dagobah system, right? Whereas in The Force Awakens, we get that part before the movie ends. It's like, oh, Rey, uh, you're going to go see Skywalker. Here's the map. You're going to go there. And we get to see you go there. And you go there and you see him and we see what he looks like and you hand him lightsaber. So we kind of know, like in the next movie... You got it. There's a thread you have to pick up. If they never showed that island in the next right. movie, you know, so it, this movie was somewhat undercut and like that thread at least has to go somewhere. We have to see Luke. We have to see Ray. Yeah. They have to go somewhere. Empire got the luxury of saying, you don't even know from Yoda. You don't even know Yoda's a thing. We haven't even thought of Yoda yet, but this movie's going to be, there's going to be a ton of Yoda in this movie and it's going to be super important, right? So that's, that's so, not the fault, fault of the last shot I had, but it does show that like when they made the last, when they made The Force Awakens, they kind of knew there'd be another one. Like pretty much nothing could have happened that would have prevented another one from being made. So it's structured differently. Yeah. So I've got two things about that. Uh, first, going back to the Bond thing is, A, they have a template to make a Bond movie and they just keep doing it. And every one is sort of a retelling of the story uh, grossly. And by gross, I mean, I don't mean disgusting. I mean, you know, on, uh, I think they're, rough, they're, on they're iterating scale. on the template. They're like three degrees into sure. self-reflection, though. It's like, again, the Daniel Craig Bond is all about uh, reflecting on the old Bonds. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, and this is where I'm bringing it back up is uh, I feel that The Force Awakens is the same thing for Star Wars. It is a retelling of a modern mythology. That's what I was saying uh, yeah. two years ago on the show with Amy, who was besides herself. Because Has she ever gotten over hand dying? Is, that, is she okay? So for those of you who don't recall, the, when The Force Awakens came out, we had the holiday spectacular. Amy, my wife Amy, joined us on the show and... Uh, she uh, really was just bereft over the f – she had no idea. She went into this, you know, successfully – she didn't have to avoid spoilers. Like her internet doesn't really have <laughs> Star Wars spoilers. 
uh, but went into it literally knowing nothing. Uh, I don't even know if she knew Harrison Ford and Han Solo were in the movie, <laughs> you know, and it's like, hey, there's the old gang. It's 30 years later. There's some stuff. And then bing, bang, boom. And the kid kills Han Solo. Uh, and she really was upset. And she was like, nobody told <laughs> nobody told me. I'm like, well, nobody's supposed to tell why you. Why didn't you tell me? <laughs> <laughs> she was like, he's the only one in this whole stupid movie I liked, and they killed him. And she she still hasn't seen Rogue One. She wouldn't go see it because she said, I'm done with it. But she did. I, we drug her to see uh, this movie, and she liked it and doesn't really want to see it but again. But then Tom Pepper yeah. died, so yeah. there's that. Well, yeah, let's yeah. not get into that. All right. <laughs> what about this? Before, we, I, I, before it escapes my mind, this is, to me, at, at a basic narrative level, the most uh, – one of the maybe the most exceptional and i mean exceptional in the way that it's an an exception like in programming terms would raise an error it's like outside the the rules of star wars movies in the trilogy thing where there's no gap between the force awakens and this movie i mean literally it, it the the her presenting the lightsaber to luke when we've rejoined them it's it's in the moment, it's, it was obviously shot at the same time. Yeah. I think uh, this is what no, John was getting. Yeah, they, like they it go had back. to be right. No, they did go back because they went. They, they saw some making up things. They did go back to that island, and they actually only had they said two days of shooting the island, and everything else was like on the coasts where the island well, is off of. I know they went back, but from a narrative perspective, it is the moment. Yeah. I think at the time they filmed it for Force Awakens, uh, I don't not sure that things had been nailed down to the point where they knew where Luke was supposed to chuck it over his shoulder. Well, no, oh, I, I'm sure I don't they know didn't, either. But narratively, as we watch the movie, yeah, yeah, no, they pick up, they pick up that moment, and they didn't, they didn't yeah. have to do that. Like they had to pick up that thread, as I said before, but they could have let us join the two of them in a hut somewhere, having a discussion. Like we didn't have to pick up from that moment. But I find the scene where Luke takes his old lightsaber, his father's lightsaber, and throws it off a cliff nonchalantly, to be one of the most powerful Star Wars moments we have. Nah, I, 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 I mean, like. Mark Hamill has some problems with the treatment of Luke, and I have to say I kind of agree with Mark Hamill, but interestingly, I think I said this on The Incomparable, I think Luke in The Last Jedi, that character seems to me to be informed by the actual person, Mark Hamill. What little I know of him from seeing him do celebrity interviews as himself and not as the character Luke. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the Luke in this movie seems very much to me like the actual Mark <laughs> Hamill in real life. Um, which is interesting that, that uh, both I and Mark Hamill think it's not uh, a great fit for the character. But because the gap is so long between the last time we saw Luke and now, anything could have happened in there that would explain this transformation. And, and you know, they try to explain it well, in this movie. Right. And, well, and, and John, John, you hold, so, hold. What, two seconds, John. The other, too many well, Johns. All right. The, one, the one thing Gruber. that we do have uh, that we disagree about is that uh, I have a different perspective upon Luke in Return of the Jedi than, than you do. Uh, I think he kind of went dark for a bit, and we have seen Jedi, including the great ones like Yoda and uh, Kenobi, just run away and hide for thirty years. And he's kind of following the same pattern. And yeah, no, it's not. It's not the running away and hiding that I disagree with, and it's not the being tempted by the dark side I disagree with. Like the whole movies are all about him being tempted by the dark side. Empire and Jedi had Luke being tempted by the dark side and giving into it to varying degrees at various points. Um, but like. I mean, again, the time gap is so big that I'm not faulting the movie for this. I'm just saying that it was it was a surprise, which is fine. But it was also a surprise that I feel like uh, 
wasn't really adequately explained in the movie, which I think is one of the things Last Jedi has yeah. some problems with. They they want there to be, you know, a bunch of stuff happening, and here's where we are. You're like, okay, I can see that happening. It's plausible. It's been 30 years. Like, tons of stuff can happen. Like, it makes, it makes sense. But you have to put something on the screen to give me, like, the Cliff Notes version of that. And they do that to greater or lesser degrees. And the, the character things that don't fit for me is the Luke... The Luke I know from the original trilogy was uh, a relentlessly earnest do-gooder who wanted to do the right thing, but was also a little bit of a hothead. But in the end, mastered his, you know, his hot-headedness, resisted the dark sides, refused to fight, and was triumphant in that endeavor, further reinforcing his earnestness. And presumably his hot-headedness would fade with age and so on and so forth. Now, he can still have problems where he become, like, as they say in this movie, you start believing your own hype. You know, you start believing in the legend of Luke Skywalker because everyone tells you you're super awesome and like, oh, Luke Skywalker, you're great. You know, I bet you can do anything, right? That's that's what that's their explanation in this movie. I just didn't see enough of it on the screen to really convince me that this, like, what I would have expected Luke, sure, he's in exile, sure, he messed stuff up. I expected him to be more sad and less angry uh, because, mm-hmm. like, he learned through the, his arc in the first three movies was to chill out a little bit, to to relax, to be more patient, and to understand, like, but don't I have to beat Darth Vader? Don't I have to hit him really hard with my sword? And that's how I'll win? And to get it through his thick skull that no that's not how you win you know he, he chucks his lightsaber away says i will not fight you you know i'm a jedi like my father before yeah. me. like that's his arc right and he he's yeah. such a do-gooder and so earnest that uh, i you know i need to to have an explanation of how he ended up in this place because i would sad and broken totally see that depressed sad broken hiding reclusive uh it turning inward even shutting himself off from the forest i totally see all of that but kind of angry at the world and and bitter and stuff um seems more in keeping with cynical jaded uh mark hamill than it does with luke uh, but all that said i loved his character in this movie i just have some difficulty connecting it back with 30 years ago one and again there's 30 years worth of movies that we haven't seen there so something could fill in those gaps but but we'll go let's go with luke and what they did with luke because uh, that was a really good segment right there and it's uh, it's a big part of the movie and i think it's a huge part of the movie for us who you know grew up with that first trilogy right and and it's a it was a huge 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 decision and you know obviously they knew exactly i say missed opportunity i want to say missed opportunity but they knew what it meant that by not putting luke in the force awakens other than the the briefest moment at the very end of the movie almost more as a you know here's what's coming in the next movie we never got to see han and luke and leia and chewie together again right the last time we saw them together it was 1983 in return of the jedi and they're never they're never going to be together again and they could have and it didn't have to be and i get i totally get the idea that hey you're not going to make a uh, 700 billion dollar grossing movie starring 70 year old actors you know uh you know it's time for a new generation but there's obviously a thousand different ways they could have written the force awakens where luke had some kind of role and when you see you know you have that great scene with han and leia and you changed your hair and and c-3po and you you might not recognize me (laughs) because he's got the red arm uh you know it, it could have been some luke in there too right and it was obviously a deliberate choice that we get the heartache that luke has of never having seen han again right i mean that's the 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 you know, we don't get to see, we don't get the joy of seeing them together again. And but then when he says, "Where's Han?" in this movie, it hurts. It hurts because he could have seen him in the last movie before he died. Even if they still killed Han, 
you know, so yeah. I get it. I get that choice. It works. There's a part of me that wants to wants to be angry at J.J. Abrams for that. And there's a part of me that says, I salute you for having the balls to do it because it really made it made Luke saying, where's Han in this movie? A moment that it, to me is as good as any moment in any Star Wars. Movie. I totally agree. And uh, I am really not one of the people that wants to get mad at a filmmaker for making the choices that, you know, when it comes down to it, right. it's a film. And this that moment where he says, where's Han? And they they cut. We don't get right. there. Well, Han got killed by like none of that. It's just and it, by the guy you screwed yeah, up. Yeah, and it just exactly, <laughs> and it just hits you. And right. you know, oh god, that's awful. I, I wish so me, I wish there would be more this... Chewie and Luke hanging out. That's all. Yeah, I kind of would have liked to have seen well, more get, of that. Too. But anyway, really let me just read on this. the screen in this movie, though. Like, there's a lot of characters in The Force Awakens because yeah. you got to do the transition yeah. from old to new, and then they add even more here. And so there's just not enough time for Luke and Chewie to hang out. You barely got Luke to say two words to see three PO. Yeah, I, I think Mark Hamill say that he winks at him. Yeah, Mark Hamill's comments on this, I think, are really interesting. And and he's since walked them back and said he regrets it because, you know, and it's the reason that the creative people just don't talk about the creative process. You could even say this is why Apple doesn't explain itself is you start explaining yourself and it just opens you, you, you up. Don't, you don't to, want to be too uh, honest. Like people don't want to see how the sausage is made. Right. People don't want to see it. But in, in a very honest interview, Mark Hamill said uh, that he said to Ryan um, Johnson, uh, Jedi don't give up. This is his criticism of the way Luke was written in this movie. Jedi don't give up. I mean, even if he had a problem, he would maybe take a year to try and regroup. But if he made a mistake, he would try to right that wrong. So right there, we had a fundamental difference. But it's not my story anymore. It's someone else's story. And Ryan needed me to be a certain way to make the ending effective. That's the crux of my problem. Luke would never say that. I'm sorry. Well, in this version, see, I'm talking about the George Lucas Star Wars. This is the next generation of Star Wars. So I almost had to think of Luke as another character. Maybe he's Jake Skywalker. He's not my Luke Skywalker, but I had to do what Ryan wanted me to do because it serves the story well. And he's since like two days ago, he had another thing where he said, you know what? I regret it. I love this movie. Ryan Johnson made a, a great Star Wars movie, and I'm happy to have been a part of it. And you know, because he's it's taken out of he's context. He's taking a lot of heat, Mark and Hamill. I like honestly, as anybody yeah. who has made anything ever, uh, I need like I used to work on games. You know how many weird decisions get made when you, it's, it's fine. It's not even I, that weird. It's I like support he, it, the ability like, of him to say that this is the thing. I actually think Luke is wrong about the Jedi. All of the Jedi that we know from the original but, but, trilogy, but, but, the but, only I, trilogy that Syracuse knows, well, is I think, that when I think things, things Mark, go wrong, they cut Mark and run. Hamill. That's all we know. That's the only thing that Mark Hamill knows, too. Like, Mark Hamill has the same problem that the audience has, is that the last time he was Luke was Return of the Jedi. He didn't film a bunch of movies in the intervening 30 years where he got to play Luke at various stages. So the last Luke that he knows is the Return of the Jedi. And, he, and he's saying, Jedi don't give up. But what he really means is, Luke, that character I played in those three movies, he was an earnest do-gooder who was a little hot-headed right. and a little bit impulsive, but he was a Boy Scout. I mean, Luke was not, you know, like, you know, you see him in Empire Strikes Back of like, you know, what uh, Leia says, nobody cares. He says, I care. Like he's just he's just trying to trying yeah. to get the girl, trying to do the right thing, trying to beat the bad guy, trying to leave his farm. Like, and that's the last Luke that Mark Hamill knows. So when he sees how Luke is right. being played in this movie, he's like, I don't get how 
that character, the end of Return of Jedi, gets here. And Ryan Johnson should have said, well, there's 30 years. A lot can happen in 30 years. And right. so he should have really sat down with them and said, here's what we imagine happened in 30 years, and here how it would explain this transformation or whatever. But he's got the same problem we do. Like, how do I connect that Luke to that one? So maybe you could argue that that's a, a problem, like a director talking to the actor and understanding, like, here's what your motivation is. Let me tell you, like, your pretend backstory for the 30 years intervening or whatever, because this is what I want you to be in this movie. Um, and like I said, I accept that. But when you have such a well-known character, it's important to put things in the actual movie that give you an, a, a plausible explanation of how they get to this point. And they tried really hard to do that with the him explaining how he tried to, to drink Kylo, how he started to believe his own hype, how he started to believe in the legend, how he saw the darkness within him. But it's like, yeah, but like the Luke who saw the darkness, would he take out his lightsaber and consider consider killing his sister's son? Uh, like maybe, maybe the, the Luke from 30 years, maybe he would do that, but it's like, what brought him to that point? Because the Luke at the end of Return of the Jedi, no way in hell would he do that. He wouldn't even fight his own father who was killing millions of people right. and going to blow up all his friends. Yeah. And, and, and by so, the way, in, so in Jedi, I do think that he's, he's progressed in his use of the force, but in Jedi, he's remarkably colder than he is in Empire and certainly in Star Wars. Uh, he's, he's chilling out. I don't know if he's chilling out because he's strangling people with his brain, so that's probably not good. Well, but, but he's thing. he's he's distanced even when he's on the mission. He's like, I shouldn't come on the mission. But but he still has this hot-headed moment where you know, if you won't join me, maybe your sister will, and he gives in to his anger and fights. But that that's what right. that that's what convinces him when he finally sees like, uh, you know, Yoda was right. I got it. Like you know, only what you take with you, like the cave. You know, remember the lesson in the cave. Like he figures it out at the end, and by figuring it out, that's how he wins. That's how the good guys win, essentially. I agree with you completely, but I can see the, the if you if you take the transition for Luke from uh, Star Wars to Empire to the Return of the Jedi, and then sort of extrapolate that a long time, you can see him getting more and more dis- disconnected from the world. And I find it a little bit believable that he would uh, give up and well, pull the old said. Jedi I, I, thing I of like you know what everything's screwed up. Now here's where I, I totally agree with you. Uh, like sad and the laser sword on and, your and in nephew exile and and depressed and beating yeah. himself up all of that but probably like less sarcastic and cynical maybe you guys know that is i don't understand that that's a long you guys long way to go you guys i assume might know this john you probably certainly do but you guys know that lawrence kasdan's who, who who co-wrote the screenplay for Empire Strikes Back? I forget if he had a writing credit. Yeah, he wrote, he wrote some of the, the Force Awakens. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, what he the way he do you guys know the story of how he wanted uh, Return of the Jedi to end? He but wanted Han to die. Uh, no, it had nothing to do with Han dying. It had to do with Luke walking off into the sunset alone. Like in his his you know he said like uh, Clint Eastwood in one of the you know, like Western spaghetti Westerns that he, you know, all these things can happen and, and he can redeem his father and they can kill the emperor and the rebels can have this great victory and blow up another death star. But that Luke is isolated and he's, you know, there's no one else he can relate to. And that the, like the last shot of the movie would just be Luke walking off on his own, you know, how you get from there, you know, but instead of having yeah, like I a mean, celebration, that wouldn't work because all of Jedi is about him connecting with his sister and fighting for his friends. Like the unit's really, really cohesive unit. Like they're all working together as friends. They plan as friends, they execute as friends. He's worried about his friends out in space. So that would have to be a different script if you wanted to go in that direction. Kind of got a little bit of that moment when he's standing in front of the bonfire. He is isolated mm-hmm. from everybody else. Well, so yeah, he, he is. Yes. I do think everybody yeah. around yeah. him, right? So, but he's still he's yes, smiling. I do. He I, sees I, all his friends and his dead yeah. friends. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It's like it's like they so they put a a, a bit of that in with the him alone in the bonfire, but it, they uh, you know it obviously wasn't going to be the last moment, the last emotional cue of the moment, but uh, of the movie and of the trilogy. Yep, no. But that's what. Lawrence Kasdan wanted, but I I think that that Lawrence Kasdan idea informed this Luke in Exile idea. You know whether that's where well, they like got said, it like or where they thought of it. Exile, I'm all for. Like I expected him to be in Exile. Yeah. I expected him to be kind of like Obi Wan, like kind of sad and depressed and sort of uh, mad at yourself and just kind of like down and like the best I can do is hide and like like that you're hiding yourself as a dangerous weapon. Like Obi Wan definitely had that vibe. Where he was just he was right. exiling himself because he had he had colossally screwed up and he's like the best thing I can right. do is stay away and he eventually was brought back in by the promise of redemption, um, but Luke is right. on this island just being pissed off all the time. Right. I I think it's interesting and Guy and I have talked about this privately, but I think it's interesting the way that old Luke that we see in this movie is way more Yoda than Obi Wan. Like you say, Obi Wan is depressed. Obi Wan was obviously off on his own, and and you know he only got back involved when you know Leia came to get him. Like he wasn't like waiting. You know he wasn't going to join. He he had given up. You know like exactly what Mark Hamill is saying that Jedi never do. Like Obi Wan had effectively given up, and I, I guess the only thing he was doing was you know keeping some kind of force awareness. Well, my, my, you know, sure Luke my, my head okay. canon is that he's using Tinder and going down to the. Cantina. Most know, Eisley. He's, he's going to most like, Eisley every Friday night. He's going to hide down the road from Luke. He's obviously looking over Luke. So they, right. mean old Ben right. Kenobi, like, right. Luke even knows that he exists. Right. Like, so. But he's not. Yeah. But but he and Yoda never decide to go after Vader and the Emperor. No, no. Again. But once, you know, but once that, you know, things come to a head, Obi-Wan doesn't have – we don't get to see a moment of him saying, I don't know if I'm going to answer Leia's call. He pretty much is on board immediately mm-hmm. with the message. Right. Whereas Yoda, you know, is the one who had the – you know, I'm not going to trade. I'm not going to do my Yoda here. Maybe I can. Maybe if I have a little bit more of the scotch, I will. But take a, take a swig. Let's do it. Know, let's go. Come on, man. Yoda's the tour. one who refuses. Come on, you can do it. In the same way that Luke refuses to train Ray is exactly it felt to me like the way Yoda was yeah, refusing he, uh, to train Yoda was Luke. afraid. He is too old. Yes, too old to begin right. the training. He was afraid because, he, like you know, Obi Wan has to convince him, and Yoda's like, "Remember what happened last time? Uh, we ended up with Vader. That was a bad scene. That's why I'm on this." You know, Yoda does a, a eco retreat. He's like, "I got to get it back to nature, right. back to like what the Force is really all about." Yeah. And I so have does to Luke, get away though, from right? Else. And they've both got a dark yeah, yeah, side yeah. But but, he, like, but Luke you is know? healing himself off from the Force. But it's like, but just Luke is so kind of disillusioned and angry. Like Yoda is not disillusioned with the Force. He retreats to a place with all this life to get closer to the Force. He's mm-hmm. not disillusioned. He's dis- Yoda may be disillusioned with the bureaucracy of the Jedi Council and blah blah blah, and how and disillusioned with his own decisions and performance. And yeah, you know, so he's so pissed forth. off but, about the pink slip more yeah. than the actual. But, but yeah. Luke is like, I'm not even going to use the Force. And part of that is hiding yourself, which I think is smart. Um, but part of that is also that he's just like, f this Force business. Like I'm not, I'm not down with that anymore. Like I just, you know, I'm just going to be on this island and I'm just going to close myself off entirely. But, uh, Yoda is a great character, and and Luke is uh, evolved into a great character, and so I'm not saying they're the same, but there's clearly way more Yoda in old Luke than yep. than old Ben, and and it just like it, there's like an impishness, you know, like when he's yeah. uh, for, he says, "All right, three lessons. Here's your first lesson: reach out," and she literally reaches out and he snaps her hand with a big blade of grass, and he or, and she goes, "Do you feel it?" She goes, "I feel it. I feel it." <laughs> 
<laughs> like that's Yoda. That's a total yeah, I mean, Yoda move. Like, yeah. Yoda that you, you know, part of the training of the traditional sort of like training from the ancient wisdom is like the student looks foolish. I mean, Luke is made to look foolish at many times oh, being trained with Yoda right. too. Obi Wan never does though. Obi Wan never yeah, makes Obi Wan is a ding- dignified never... British person who teaches you 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 can see you can do it. Like you know, like he he's very encouraging and supportive, and and Yoda is right. you know yelling at Luke for because he's dropping him when he's floating the rocks and everything. Yeah. On the other hand, uh, <laughs> Kenobi's giving him the basics, right? Like, yeah, but it's just you just can't see Kenobi ever doing something like that, though, right? Uh, Kenobi I just, is. Ne- I just like to block them out, and the Last Jedi doesn't do that. To like Last Jedi brings another thing. Last Jedi does is it starts to bring in the prequels because to explain yeah. Luke's disillusionment, he has to make oblique reference right. to how. No, he makes explicit uh, explicit right. uh, to uh, yeah. what's his name, Darth Sidious, which is a name right. we never got. During the, the no, real they movies. Said no, they did say it. Death City? No, they. Uh, not yeah, the, because you're talking about the original the, trilogy, right? No, no, yeah, oh, I'm talking the about the real trilogy, movies. Yeah. yeah, like the the yeah. the, the, I, I got yeah, you, the I prequels. You. They mention it, but right. that coming out of Luke's mouth? No, we've never had that. Yeah, where did, Lurk, where did yeah. Luke learn all that? He must have been studying up on the Wikipedia pages after. Well, I mean, <laughs> once, once you blow up the Emperor and you take over the galaxy, I'm going to guess there's a library. Well, there's a lot of time for reading. Look, and just saying, yeah, huh, you can look this up. You can look this stuff up. Yeah, boy, these Jedi it's were fine. dumb. I mean, at some place, it, some he also went and found all those Jedi texts, right? Yeah, but, but some, no, no, no. They were already on the island. They were in that yeah, temple yeah, that's, on that's, the island. Okay, for, so he went there. Like he 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 I spent mean, time researching this stuff. Is what I'm that's saying. That's the other weird thing. Like that. Like uh, another thing that JJ set up is where Luke is hiding is back, like where the first Jedi were. Um, kind of like how Yoda went to this planet with tons of life because it's a it's yeah. a whole force you know thing, right? So, but for someone who is super disillusioned with the Jedi, uh, like. You could take it two ways. One, that it's a, a discontinuity and they just had to deal with it because it's on the island uh, and, like, it doesn't quite match up. Or two, that despite all Luke's protestations about uh, being disillusioned with the Jedi, he did go to the island where the original Jedi were. So it's, it seems that he can't let go of the idea that the Force is is a thing that's worth holding on to. Even I, I'm very comfortable off. with that. If the, I mean, if you're uncomfortable with your religion, going back to the first texts yeah. is... Yeah, it totally but, makes but sense to me. Like, like, where did we like, go wrong with the bureaucracy? Is is a yeah, completely but, but, reasonable thing. But to in do, the end, you know? like, he wants to burn down that tree, and he's like, just no. The, like, in the end, he can't, he start when he's trying to teach Ray about the Force to say, like, basically, the Jedi don't own the Force, right? Like, that's that's right. a, a human concept. Like, it's like the church, and like you know, the the, the church is made yeah. by man, but like you know, the difference between the, the church and actual God. It's like the Jedi are a human construct. They are imperfect because humans are imperfect. Uh, but the force is fine, and like he's, he's like he wants to burn it down, not because he wants to burn the force down, but to say this structure that humans have made around the force, this whole Jedi Sith, right? And that is that, like that's exactly crap. Yeah. But he he can't quite bring himself to do it because in like the same reason he went to the island, he kind of believes like in the force, like he he believes in all the teaching, like but but Jedi Jedi are good, right? Like I always totally wanted to be a Jedi, and I was so excited to to be one and. And to, like, fulfill my destiny to become a Jedi and blah, blah. And now I can't bring myself to burn it down. And Yoda's the one who pops in and says, I don't have a problem with it. I can burn it down and tell you you're right. That I've always, that Yoda's Yoda always being, been on the same um, page of, like, Yoda does not tell him, you know, here is what it means to be on the Jedi Council. He is all about the Force and what the yeah. Force means and, all like, his, his stuff. I mean, he does mention Jedi a lot because a Jedi cares not about blah, 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 blah. He uses the word Jedi, but because the prequels didn't exist... 
he makes no reference to the stupidity of Jedi bureaucracy and the hubris <laughs> of the Jedi and, and like their little kitty training schools and picking slave children and all sorts of other like things that eventually came right. in the prequels. And yeah. he's free to Before say, you lift your X-Wing, have you filled out form JDI yeah. right, 8826? Right. No. <laughs> I, I thought that that was one of my favorite things about this movie is that it, it acknowledged something that to me had gone unacknowledged in – including in The Force Awakens in the previous movies, which was that to me, and again, maybe I was just reading too much into it, and, and I always, I do believe very strongly, and I, I know I'm right on certain parts, that Lucas didn't have this whole thing written out. You know, there were vague ideas about what the prequels would be, and a lot of the stuff that ended up in them weren't really, you know, he didn't have this grand master plan and all these screenplays pre-written in 1977. But to me, in the original trilogy, especially with what Kenobi says in Star Wars, it made it, to me, seem like Jedi were sort of... uh, solo individuals around the galaxy. Yeah. Like monks and, you know, and somebody who was called into the force would, it it would eventually, you know, you'd discover another Jedi and they would train you and, and, but the, it was decentralized is what I saw a decentralized network of warrior monks. Uh, I I never saw them as being inherently generals or leading battles or having or a big council and ha- sitting around at a big yeah, yeah, and and headquarters and, 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 well i mean when, right, when kenobi's saying that um anakin a fancy skyscraper you know stark right. tower on coruscant yeah well like like when when uh, kenobi is saying that anakin was once his pupil and he was the best of right. yeah. pilot he thought he and could train him just as well as yoda and he was wrong yeah. that that goes into the whole sort of like master apprentice you know system of right. i i honestly right i believed it more to be like a you know, I don't know, like a like, like a cobbler, like a cobbler relationship. Like I'll show you how to yeah. do this. The fact and, that they fought in the war together was um, that incidental was to the, the fact and they had that to there was the a war wars. going on. Yeah, right. I happen to think, I, and I grew up under the assumption that Kenobi got involved, and in, and she said, you know, you fought with my father as a general in the Clone Wars. That Kenobi made that choice as an individual, in my mind. That Kenobi was one of yeah. however many Jedi there were in the galaxy, and when the Clone Wars erupted, Obi Wan Kenobi decided, I'm joining this this war as a Jedi and I'll become a general in this. It, it, I did not expect that all of the, that there was something like that. And it's one of the things that I like about the prequel trilogy is that again, it upended my expectations and it was like, no, they were more like a quasi government institution, but sort of anti-democratic, you know, like nobody else really had it. They, they were yeah. influential in intergalactic politics, but like answerable to no one. And the whole lot of them joined the war, you know, and, yeah. and, and in a way that wasn't what I expected. It what didn't seem like what it was set up. And it also made me feel like this is a corrupt organization and I can see how their hubris led to their downfall. Yeah, you know, there was like something about, about Alec Guinness's uh, portrayal of Kenobi that made you believe that he could have been a general in, in the war. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I mean, bridge over the river Kwai, right? Well, well yeah, first of all, exactly. picture of the River Kwai, he's uh, like a British gentleman in 1977. Could You could totally see him being an officer in World War II. Like it was close enough historically to to cement that this is a, the, a prototype of a character that could have gone and seen some hard times. And now he's moved beyond it and is being called back. Um the whole thing with the prequels, it did subvert my expectations. And, and I guess I have to tip my hat to that. But uh, 
I don't know if it subverted them in a way that made me richer for it. If you if you roughly sketch out what what the prequels are trying to do, uh, you could make a semi coherent story out of it, like in like really bold, sure. like like three bullet yeah. points per movie. But in execution, they just you know failed in every possible front. So that's you yeah. know it's not. I, I don't disagree with that part with the the overarching. Uh, you know, the concept, broad, right? broad, broad strokes of the prequels, but once you get down below the level of three bullet points for movies, everything falls apart. I, I, agree. I, do, I, I really like, though, I thought, and I thought that Luke's, uh, that, that rant that Luke has in this movie is as close as, I, I almost feel like they don't need to do it anymore, but I feel like they've, cinematically, Ryan Johnson took it on himself to uh, bridge, you know, bridge the, all seven or eight movies, I guess, so far together. And, and I, I feel like that was very successful in a in a minimal amount of time. Luke's sort of here's why I'm uh, sickened by the Jedi and to hell with them. It 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 tied them together in a way that hadn't been tried before. That the prequels kind of left as a problem, and that the Force Awakens just sort of skipped over. Yeah, well, because the Force Awakens, like, I mean, it's centering on Rey, who barely even knows that Luke Skywalker even is a real thing and not just like a story that she's heard. No, right? she flat out thinks he's a myth. Right, and so, so she's not right. that close to it. But by the time we get into this movie, it's time to get down to brass tacks and see like what is ever because the prequels have now hap- you know happened, so this movie has to be informed by it. And it does it in a way of like setting them aside, like it's taking the broad strokes of matter. Like, look, the Jedi were stupid in the prequels. And we all agree mm-hmm. the Jedi were stupid yeah. in the prequels, sometimes, intentionally, sometimes not either way. Like, they were shown to be an ineffective organization. And, like, and this movie's, uh, I like this movie's message about the Force with Yoda because it's back on message from the Empire Yoda to say it's all about the Force and not so much about the bureaucracy of the Jedi and the Sith and right. that thing. It's about the Force, and there is a light side and a dark side, and there is a, a struggle between them, and Yoda is all about learning how not to give in to the dark side is quicker, easier, more seductive, you know, like I'm all on board with that. And, and I like that Yoda in this one is most able to let go of the trappings of like, because first of all, the Jedi mm-hmm. order is long gone, right? Luke is the last one and he needs Yoda to give him a kick over the cliff to say, look, what are you, what are you even holding on to? Damn. Like you got a bunch of books and you, that's it. There's right. no more Jedi council. Also, Yoda no more is, this. Right. Yoda is also long gone. He's been dead for a he long keeps coming time. Back, though. Well, yeah, but he don't. He, years. he has less and less attachment to uh, the physical uh, we world. We don't know. We don't know how time passes in the in the magic uh, Je- uh, force ghost realm. Um, okay, well, he, he does like not give a crap today. about the Jedi. He just blows up the tree. He's, yeah, I mean, that's a problem with I'm the dead, force. And I'm a problem with the force ghost because, like, you gotta. I mean, this movie does change a bunch of rules about things, but uh, you know, as as many people right. have pointed out, in some in some ways, they kind of potentially break things down the line but like what's the deal with the force ah, ghosts? can they come back forever and ever like why don't we see the force ghosts from like you know 20 centuries coming back and talking is just the ones that he knows do they ever age in the force ghost place anakin got to well, be younger yeah well there's two things about that a uh well okay just brief aside i mean who's to say that uh, kenobi's force ghost didn't put those torpedoes down down the hole when Luke fired them. Oh, Luke, Luke did that himself. He used the Force. Um, I mean, I guess. Oh yeah, who's yeah. Kenobi didn't do it for him. I forgot. Anyway, the second, second thing. Well, they, is they explain that, before um, you get to that. They explain that Qui Gon is the one who figured out how to be a Force Ghost. So there's no Force Ghost before Qui Gon. Right. So okay. 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 But, okay. but, but he's still but talking to beyond the grave. Qui-Gon, all right. As far as we know, though, Qui Gon only figured it out to the part where he could like communicate. Not you know, and and because Kenobi does it both ways. When Luke is going down the trench, he only hears his voice. Mm-hmm. And only in The Empire Strikes Back do we see the Force Ghost. 
Uh, for all we know, Qui-Gon never got further than being able to communicate with Yoda He's got a very specific vocally. set of skills, John. My take on it is my take on it is that uh, <laughs> that Yoda has been able to extend it longer than Kenobi because Yoda was more powerful in the Force, and it helps that Yoda is a puppet. And <laughs> yeah, uh, that does help. Well, Frank Oz, Frank, Frank Oz, Oz is not a Frank puppet. Frank Oz is is still alive, no and Alec Guinness no is puppets. dead, <laughs> and. Uh, What's his name? Ewan McGregor in makeup isn't really going to look like old Obi-Wan. And we've already established that when Obi-Wan appears as a ghost, he looks like Alec Guinness, yeah. not like Ewan yeah. McGregor. Um, but I could, you know, if they could do it, maybe it would be interesting. I, 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 it's one of the little things I've picked up on, I've thought about. I, I, we could go on a whole aside on this, but I need to do a break soon. But in The Force Awakens, when Rey has the the vision when she first touches the lightsaber among the many things she sees there's things that come in this movie like most probably iconically is luke with his robotic hand on r2's helmet or head whatever you want to call the top of r2 watching his jedi temple burn Uh, but one of the things in that sequence is you hear obi-wan say ray and it's, there's a great backstory of how they kind of sampled uh, a line from Alex Guinness where he happens to say th- afraid the syllable. He says Ray. the word afraid, afraid, and right. out of afraid. Right. And then they took uh, uh, Ewan McGregor, I think, and had him say Ray, and they yep. put them together, yeah. and it just, you know. They, they also so, used the guy that does him in the Clone Wars. Like that was the stand-in, <laughs> and then they. It and could then they, be. It could be yeah. that 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 vision was the only communication she ever gets from Obi Wan. But it could also be that maybe Obi Wan will come and talk to Ray in the next movie. I don't know how they would pull it off vocally, but I, I want I certainly that. get it. So we'll talk about the, her parentage, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, we'll I don't, hold I, that. I don't know. I'm, hold you that. know, I'm a Kenobi nerd. I want. Yeah. I want him in, but. I like that he's right. but let me take a yeah. break. Let me take a break here and thank our second sponsor. And I'm very excited about this. They specifically requested the the Star Wars Holiday Spectacular. This is the first time they have ever sponsored a podcast. Uh and they specifically wanted this show. It is a company called Squarespace. Squarespace is a company that they have like a you go to Squarespace and you sign up and they let you build your own website. And I, when I mean build your website, you can build any type of website you want. It, like you need like an online store, I, I, they can do it. You want to start a new podcast, you could do it at Squarespace. You want to start a blog, you could do it at Squarespace. You, you're like a designer with a portfolio. You want to create like a resume site, you could do it at Squarespace. They have dozens, dozens, dozens of pre-built templates. They all look professional. Any website you make with Squarespace looks so super professionally designed. It is amazing. But you can customize it to your heart's content with your own branding, your own style. And you do it all right in the browser. You don't have to code it. You don't get into the HTML. You don't have to get into the CSS. Uh, Does that sound too good to be true? It it does. But I swear that's the way it works. It is amazing. Um, I've never heard of this company before, but I, I checked it out. And it really is amazing. And if you actually look around the web, you can find that a lot of the websites you use on a daily basis are actually built on the Squarespace platform. It's actually remarkably uh, popular for a company that's never sponsored a, po- a podcast before. Uh, really a terrific thing. Next time you need to start a new website, I highly recommend that you start at Squarespace. Give it a, you know half an hour, an hour of your time. Just see what you can get off the ground. And I, you probably aren't going to look back. You'll just keep going. Uh, they have a free trial. 
that you can get started today. And if you remember this code, they have a code talk show, no the, just talk show. Uh, when you sign up and you start paying, if you use that code talk show, you'll get 10% off your first purchase. They'll let you prepay for a whole year. So you could save 10% off your whole first year of service. So go to squarespace.com next time you need a website and encourage them to uh, sponsor a podcast at least one more time. All right. I want to go back to this, uh, this thing I was at about 20, 30 minutes ago, which is that there's no gap between The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. And that this literally takes place like minutes afterwards, you know, that the the resistance is fleeing their base because the Empire after the, well, the last look, movie is like... There's well, no gap between on the island, but there is a gap on the resistance. The two timelines are not in sync. I don't. I don't think that's true. I think that that's immediately after the last movie. No, I don't, I don't I think, think so. That, I think the the island stuff is obviously immediately after. But uh, or the only way it could line up is if at the end of the Force Awakens there's a time jump. Uh, but I, I feel like those two things are not in sync because she's hanging out on that island for way longer. We keep cutting back to the Resistance stuff, but we have like seven hours of the Resistance, and they cut back and forth between the Resistance and the island, and it's like at least a week on the island. So. Those timelines are obviously no. Nuts. I think that that chase. I think the resistance is fleeing those ships for a week. I really I do. So. I didn't, they didn't change outfits so, well, enough. So I, 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 you know, and they eventually I, I, I sink back on Sergio's side you, in that. Um, I do believe. Well, how that, do you explain the way that they sink back up on the salt? Well, planet? so here's here's how I do it. All right, so uh, what? That, the, that's the, easy. The, she's yeah, just timelines. chilling out. The, yeah. She's on the island and is doing a bunch of stuff on the island. She's on the island for a long time before the rebels start fleeing their base. So she she's just island, 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 island. And then mm. the rebels flee their base. And that's like in her last day or two that she's on the island before she bails, right? So that's how they sync up. It's just what we, we cut back and forth between the two timelines, but one is happening back in time. It's fine. Like, I don't think there's any problem with that. But that my but the movie, I feel like, was telling me is that these two timelines are not actually in sync. Yeah, it's it suits the narrative I, pace of the movie, and and John, the other John, uh, <laughs> too, too many fucking names. Johns. Just use um, last names. Only I can use John because it's unambiguous. Okay, okay Gruber. Gruber. Yeah. Uh, here's the thing: it would have taken uh, the first order some time to figure out where that base was, right? Or else they would have just assaulted it in the previous movie. If they knew minutes after, why weren't they there? Immediately as they launched their super, they got to regroup. Okay, like a bunch of their crap blew, just blew up. Like they they, they have yeah. regrouping time. Yeah, it takes some time yeah. to regroup. It's it's a lot, you know. Plus, they, they're, the the crawl uh, tells us that they've like militarily dominated the galaxy. So they blew up the Republic planets, and yeah. you know, but then their super weapon was destroyed. But they did blow up like like all the Republic capitals or whatever. And then the crawl tells us, and and since blowing up all the Republic capitals, they have been asserting their military they've force asser- and they've exactly, taken over everything. Yeah. I'm I'm on months here, which is a lot longer than what really? Luke. Yeah, I mean Luke got with Yoda. I mean that timeline gets all whack too. Well, this right? was discussed on right. on the incomparable with the title yeah. of one of the episodes was Jedi Weekend of us trying to figure right. out exactly <laughs> how long was he on Dagobah, and and those two timelines aren't in sync either because the Falcon chase through the asteroids and everything, and Lando and all that stuff like. It takes some time, but it seems like Luke is on Dagobah for way longer. So yeah. it's harder to sync those two things up because uh, there is a sync point in Empire where they're all on Hoth together. So we know that's the thing. So, right, but, right. But, but, in the, but in The Last Jedi, it's much easier just to say that, oh, the, a lot of the island stuff happened before the Rebel base was discovered. Here's the funny thing about hmm. that asteroid scene is that it is actually sh- like the, the physics are in real life. So it takes about a month between asteroids 
And so what you think is Han being awesome is, you know, really just careful plotting. He's just moving really, really like slowly. A, a complex environment. Yeah. <laughs> and it's played in fast motion. And, it's, and they speed it up for the sake of the narrative. And also yeah. some of the asteroids are potatoes. Yes. <laughs> All right. I do feel, and I feel like you have to compare it to Empire. I, I'm open to this. I'm open to the idea here that you guys are right and I'm wrong and that, that their discovery of the resistance base is weeks or months but even at the 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 longest period of time that it is is weeks or months right it's not years whereas in the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy there was all it was always very clear that it had there had been a few years at least as many years as in the real life release of the movies but like you know between episode one and two clearly more because we saw the anakin skywalker is like a six-year-old and then he's you know like a 16 year old um it was like a full decade. Who? Um, yeah, right. And in an Empire, they make uh, <laughs> reference to like their past adventures, like oh, that that uh, that right. bounty hunter ran ran into an Ord Mandel, you know, changed my mind, and right. everyone is clearly <laughs> older, and and you know, they I, know each that other. That one better. line set off my imagination for years. Right. Like that I was. Know. And oh I'm te- I'm telling you, I can't remember what I had for lunch today, and I remember that bounty hunter on Ord Mandel. <laughs> That guy was a, that guy was great, man. But you can just tell from the way they relate uh, to each other that they that they had had adventures, and and the crawl also tells you that yeah. like you know they blew up the Death Star, and but the Empire is making a comeback, and so the rebels thought they had the upper hand, but actually they've been chased farther and farther around, and now they're on this base, and they're you know like so it, it's it's clear that time has passed, and the, and the crawl tries to do this as well because you have to go from big victory to the rebels are on their heels again. And that's mostly done by the crawl and by the passage of time. And the crawl in the last Jedi doesn't give us a counter of like, how long has it been? But I think it has been some time. I almost feel, I wouldn't even say it was a comeback. I feel like one of the triumphs of the empire strikes back and, and the whole movie is great, but the triumph of the whole battle of Hoth was the implication. It, to me, it was obvious right from the first time I watched it is, Oh, you think the rebels really set the empire back by blowing up the death star? I mean, it was a great win. It was probably mm-hmm. the best thing they could have ever done, but the empire was so entrenched and the rebels rebel Alliance. So small, that the empire was still a, a massive yeah. monolith. The Death Star was the tool, you know? not the machine. Yeah, itself, and and right? the rebels like, were hiding. <laughs> like the, their strategy is hide. So that's not the strategy where you right. feel like you ha- you could do well in a fair fight. Right. It was like, yo, you thought that they had a huge win. Yeah. Well, guess what. I have to say, too, your theory, I'm, I'm really liking this theory that it's at least a couple of weeks after The Force Awakens where they discover the resistance base, because then that solves a problem I had, which was that, um, and I still think it's a problem, really, honestly, is that they had the medal ceremony in Star right. Wars right there on Yavin, the moon on Yavin 4. After they'd been outed. Where, where, <laughs> right. <laughs> It's like, what should we do? Should we quickly evacuate before they send more Star Destroyers? Or should, should, should we, we put everybody that we've got in one small space to get blown up? And have up? a slow, slow marching metal ceremony. <laughs> they had time to polish off and R2 and 3PO, too. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> and put, like, the most blatant speciesism, racism, uh, omission of the Chewy metal. Fucking you know, justice open for up Chewy, to- man. Come on. <laughs> Well, since Wookiees lived so long, when they're all dead, he just scoops up their medals one by one. He's got Han Mel. He's got Han's medal right now. Yeah, he was great in the prequels. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
All right, I forgot to bring this up. It's it's it seems like as good a point as any because we're not on a, a on a good roll right now. Have you noticed that I'm we're not, not actually least... talking about the movie at all? I said I was going to talk about things that I disliked about and we didn't have to do with Star Wars and I haven't right. been keeping to that either and and I also said that I, the things I'm mad about are not the things other people are mad about and I feel like people are going to think that I am not keeping to that by complaining about Luke but the biggest complaints I see about Luke is that he should have been more awesome and I just think he should have been mm. more pathetic so I think it's a difference there hmm. it's a nuance right. oh I, I like I did, that but I said the yeah. guy Go ahead, John. Like I, I didn't mean to derail you with that little quip. So. Well, we, re, re, I remember we were in, were we in? Uh, we were in Ireland a couple years ago, probably yeah. for Ool, right? Mm-hmm. And it was me and you and Jonas walking through a park in Dublin, yeah. and we were, and they had first announced the new and trilogy, and yeah, and and my idea for Luke in the new trilogy was to like uh, just have him like just um, as just make it so that he was the only he was like holding the galaxy and the rebellion together for 30 years as the one and only jedi and that you know put scars on his face you know uh, you know make his mechanical hand rusted you know scars on the face and just make him a you know like wow you thought mark hamill would look better than this after only 30 years make him look worse just go into it and and really have him i remember that well and i i think they went that direction a little bit but uh, but with, with more, uh, more anger, emotionally than physically, they went emotionally yeah. rather than physically, right? And right. I, I, I mean, love your crazy too. They, they did give him a crazy beard. You can see when he when he changes yeah. it up for his force projection, he's got the just for men, just for Jedi right. on his beard, and it's all trimmed and everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I yeah. noticed that only on the second. I did not notice that the first time. I have to say, when during uh, the battle, time, like, yeah, he, uh, yeah, yeah. It, he's got it, a haircut. Okay, we'll we'll get to that. Let's put that aside. He's got the shattered girdle on there. Yeah. Yeah, that's okay. But uh, um, so when you saw this Luke compared to the Luke that you sort of sketched out while we were chatting on that walk, how did the, how did you feel about that? It was it was in the ballpark, you know, and, and like you you know they went more emotionally scarred than physically scarred. But I'm with it. It's not. It's it. It is not how I would have written. Mm-hmm. 30 years out Luke uh, you know uh, but I'm okay with it you know I didn't get to write the Star Wars movie and I feel like at least I do feel like Ryan Johnson clearly cared about and loves Luke and and sees Luke you know yeah. It, it, yeah. it it's not the way he took Luke and what what they or you know how much was his decision how much was the whole story group how much you know was JJ involved with this including omitting him from the first movie I don't know who to give credit for but I, I at, at the very least I, I think it's very clear that they didn't make any of these decisions regarding Luke lightly you know that that they it wasn't just like ah we don't care about him he's from an old movie we're going to concentrate on our new movies and we're just going to throw this beloved character in the garbage that's, that's one of I my actually like one of my like complaints about these is that uh i gave the force awakens a pass because that's got to be it, I, I always assumed there would be a transition you got to transition from the old people to the new people because that's the future of the franchise and you just can't have the you know so does transition mean you have to kill them all off does it mean they just retire in glory like whatever but you got to transition so i first movie you kill han uh the only probably the only way to get uh harrison ford in the movie was to promise to kill han right because he wanted to die in jedi right. um yeah. and so i give them that right but then with the second movie with so much luke in the second movie and so like zero of him basically in the first movie um it's like then i started to get the sinking feel i was like wait a second we're two movies into this trilogy 
I thought the first yeah. one would be about the transition and the handoff to the new people. And I yeah. thought the second movie would be like 90% Ray with Luke filling yeah. maybe a Yoda role. And if if uh, Carrie Fisher was still alive, it'd be like, so they, what they would do like the third one would be Leia's movie. And I was like, you just wasted a whole trilogy phasing out the, the classics. And as much as I love the classics, yeah. I wanted the new movies to be about new characters because I think Ray right. deserves a trilogy that is as centered on her as... Uh, the original was on Luke because that's what the Force Awakens sets yeah. up. It's like, guess what? Ray is going to go on the hero's on journey. As, the, as centered on Poe Dameron as the original was on Han Solo. Well, Poe was supposed to die yeah, in the first you, movie, so you can kind of see that in, well, in the edit, but Finn, Ray, and Poe are basically the. the yeah, yeah, but also like. Uh, and BB 8. Uh, like Han Solo, Han Solo was only really supposed to be a you know a, a bit character in the first movie and turned into such a you know yeah. And you can like introduce so like, get, who, like who's uh, going to be your Lando in the second movie. Like you can introduce new right, people, but, but right, I expect right. it to be more about the and and it seems clear to me now that this trilogy. Uh, I mean, I don't know what they're going to do with Carrie Fisher, but like they've already spent two movies spending a lot of time talking about the old characters. And I guess it's fine. Like they're they're not going to be alive forever and they're not going to be able to do Star Wars movies forever. Well, so you might obviously. as well use them while you got them. You'll have plenty more Star Wars movies. And in hindsight, it makes sense. Um, it's just not what I expected. Right. So, hey, wait, so to, while we're two, on two it, things. How, how great... Well, okay. right, you go first. Yeah, well, because I'm going to keep me. talking until you shut up. So... <laughs> <laughs> uh, two things. Carrie Fisher, uh, we love you. Thank you for... That was everything. That was my point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How great this was she? Pals. She was so. Yeah. She was so good. I really, really loved her in this movie. In a, I liked her in the the, the Force Awakens too, and I was yeah. so glad to see her. And and I like I I, I like the way that I I mean a lot of this isn't like makeup or CGI. It's just the way Carrie Fisher aged. But I like the way she aged, and, and I love like that she's got like this sort of uh, tough old broad voice now. I mean that was just that's just what Carrie Fisher's voice. Yeah, and this, this is the case I talked like. about how Luke seemed like Mark Hamill, the actor, a lot. Right. Carrie Fisher, the actress. Is very fits exactly like how you would expect Leia to age because she was a fire plug in the yeah. first movie yep. and she didn't take no guff from nobody and you would totally see her turning into right. modern day Carrie Fisher. I agree, and, yeah. and one uh, of the I, things you said earlier about um, uh, Mark Hamill sort of asserting himself to the character, I think that even as a filmmaker as talented as J.J. Uh, Abrams or uh, Ryan Johnson, when the heroes that you grew up with tell you what they think the character should do i think there's an inherent amount of deference to it not not because you feel that they can strong arm you or not because you feel it can go against your plot but because these people have invested their lives in being these characters in in many ways and i think it would be in sort of going against the tide or going against the, the flow of things to sort of argue with them on where they uh, think I mean, but, but Ryan should go. Did. Ryan didn't go with what Mark Hamill wanted. Like, Mark Hamill was much more about the Boy Scout earnest, uh, deep-feeling, do-gooder. Right. I agree, uh, and hence... I agree, and hence why I think that what probably should have remained a private creative discussion is so fascinating to me. I love the fact that we got to hear that. I mean, we've all made stuff... How many times have you argued with somebody that, like, uh, we should do this instead of that? It happens all the time. 
I bet no one argued with uh, Harrison Ford about what Han Solo was supposed to do, though. It's like, listen, no, I, no, I, Harrison Ford Solo, is like, no, I'm going to get about it. You know, you, well, like, you know what? Amy, Amy might have just murdered him herself. Well, like, imagine, because... if, imagine if Han Solo had turned like cowardly, and he was like, you know, like like right. a little weasel. You know, it can't happen. It's not, no, no, it's not, not no, gonna happen. No. no, but I don't think that happened People to Luke either, either, right? People. So. Yeah, just look. It's just slightly uh, off, and like, and like I said, I want to reiterate: thirty years, man. A lot of stuff can happen in thirty years. It's but it's up to the movie to to make me believe it because we all right. know where we last left Luke. Um, and, and it's true of right. a lot of things. To get to get finally get into some more of the structural things about this movie. If you were to yeah. give a rough outline of what this movie's supposed to be doing and its general themes and the plot threads, I mean, especially the themes, like. We already went over the themes about like how, how how the Jedi the Jedi and the Sith are not the Force. The Force is separate from them, and those are those are human institutions or alien right. or whatever. Those are they leverage it, they use yeah, it, right? And so it's that's, not yeah. right. That's not that's one theme, and and burning down the Jedi tree. So whatever. That's 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 a thread, a plot line there. You've got Ray's thread, Ray and and Kylo. They have a thread about we're going to progress those characters, and we're going to you know, resolve the Snoke thing, but bring those two closer together and have them to be kind of a proxy for figuring out what the Force really is in this new age. Then you've got mm-hmm. uh, Finn and Rose are going to learn about, uh, are going to inform sort of the, the the big picture of, like, what's going on in the galaxy these days. Like, uh, you know, is what what is the, uh, the incoming inequality in the galaxy? How does the Republic and the Resistance and the First Order and the citizenry fit in with all of that? That's their thread. And then I guess mm-hmm. finally you have First Order versus the Resistance, which is a thread we kind of pick up on. That's a lot of threads already to begin with. Um, but as you get zoom in on those threads and say, okay, well, brass tacks, how are you going to tell me about uh, you know incoming inequality in the galaxy? How are well, you, John? I am going to give you a that? leaflet that identifies each of the. <laughs> All right, because, because, they get, because it's a lot of it's a lot of threads for a movie, and they introduce new characters. And in broad yeah. strokes, I'm mostly on board with everything they're doing. But yeah. when it comes down to the execution, I feel like uh, some threads are stronger than others. Let's put it that way. Um, and and if push came to shove, I would say, is it really that important for me to learn about arms dealers and stuff? Or if we cut that thread, right. can we give more time to what, to my mind, are the more like the, the threads that I care more about? Right? There was. There's a little bit too many characters and a little too many threads, which would have been fine if they had pulled it off. But some of them are demonstrably weaker than others, just not just in terms of like how how good is the writing and how good is the acting and so on and so forth. But Mm -hmm. like mechanically speaking, is the movie able to keep the audience on the same page with it about what they're seeing and why and what it's about? And I feel like that that falls down uh, with the Rose Finn thread being being the, the weakest, I think. Um, and not because the ideas are right. bad or because that they shouldn't have had a threat like that, but just plain old in execution, like in terms of yeah. does the audience follow along with what's going on? Are they engaged? Are the characters doing things that are that are like it's just and and that's not about Star Wars. That's just plain about movie making, yeah. right? And and I, here's and where I warmly okay. disagree with you, but we'll get to that. Uh, so. Gruber, what do you think? I'm okay with the fact I've seen people complain about the fact that the the Rose Finn adventure to Canto Bite didn't even matter. You know, it it, it didn't matter because it, it ended up not playing into the rest of me. I'm okay with that. I like it, like a sort of red herring that you think, oh, this is how yeah, they're no, going no to get out of this. No one cares if threads don't matter if they're engaged with it and they love what's going on and it's coherent. But if there's anything off right. about I, it, people will find things to complain about. Like, oh, yeah, and, and right. in the end, it didn't I, even matter. 
I just thought that the whole thread was the one thing. And honestly, and, and, and I, I, I feel like I can say this cause I've said already on this show that I liked the prequel trilogy more than most people my age did, but that whole sequence on Kanto bite was very prequely to me. I thought that the, the way that it looked, I thought that the, 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 the CGI-ness of it, the way the camera moved, like when you first there was go some in the bad casino, comping on that man when they're and, and yeah, just and the camera just sort of goes across this, and everybody you see is an alien. And that was a, and, that was a uh, an homage to what was that movie? You know what it was, guy? Um, a, a, a very uh, old, uh, I think, silent film. Yeah. They did a shot that was like that, and that was an homage to that. Yeah. Whole shot. Uh, wings of I, I did I did not. before you actually asked me, but now I'm blanking. But yeah, Every, everyone you know, who is listening to this knows and is yelling at the podcast right now. But anyway, um, yeah, yeah. That, that it's, was a, it's a movie bus movie shout out basically. But I thought that the chase scene through Canto Bite with these escaped whatever you call their their version of horse races uh, horse you know race horses smashing up the city streets looked I, I thought it looked terrible i really did in, in a way that i thought a lot of the cgi stuff in the original the, the prequel trilogy looked bad just didn't look good it just looked fake it looked like it was a, a watching a video game not a movie i really didn't like it and i just thought it was it just felt prequely you know like the pod racing scene like it just is going on and on with here's you know another one of these things busting up another bar here it is busting up a speeder here it is busting you know over and over and over again and and it just didn't seem uh, there's so much, uh, I'm, you know, it's it's ridiculous to complain about realism in the Star Wars trilogy. It's not that it wasn't realistic, but the physics of Star Wars are generally pretty realistic. Uh, it, 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 and the prequels, I feel like, w lost that where it got very cartoony physics-wise. And I felt like that whole scene on Canto Bite was like that. And then the other thing that was prequely about it was the sort of political nature of it. And, and I'm not, I, you know, personally even agree with the basic premise of the politics of it and, and, you well, know, sure. being opposed to war profiteering and stuff, but it just sort of, I, I don't know. It just felt like it was detached from the, the rest of the story threads. Yeah. You, I mean, I so thought, John's, go, I go thought John's summary of the threads of the movie was perfect. I oh, thought yeah. that was a really, really good. And I really do think that this one, it just doesn't get braided with the other yeah, threads. And not not the only way does it not that, get braided, but I think it is clumsily executed. Like, So we get it. We get the message that they're trying to say. But the, the characters you have in this thread to, to convey the message... Uh, they spend a lot of time doing things that are not in support of it. Because remember, they're there to get the code breaker, and there's, all, there's also some MacGuffin stuff to get them there, right? And then they, they throw in the horses and the slave children, and you got to get the other code breaker, the, the DJ guy, right? Um, they do a lot of things that... There's a lot of moving around and moving parts that aren't in service of the message. The, the few bits that they get are in service of the message are DJ shows them that on the ship they steal, this person sells arms to, to the First Order, but also sells them to the Resistance. So you get that one scene, which is, it's okay. It's, it's you know, it's a little bit on the nose, but it's still fine. You get the kind of, an ex like, the, the thread of, of, like, Rose and Finn seeing the slave children and inspiring them, and then but freeing the horses. Like, do we care about the horses or do we care about the slave kids? And then Finn no, being like, "But this, even if we die, it was all worth it to wreck their town." But you didn't even really wreck it. And why the hell do you? You would never say it was all worth it to wreck their town. You're supposed to be saving your friends. Like, <laughs> it's not. It's right. clumsily executed. Right. Like, I know what they're trying right. to get at, but you haven't put the characters into positions where they can convey that. 
Like, I don't believe right. that this the thread doesn't connect up with itself. Just basic mechanics. Right. Who are the characters? What are they doing and why? And you have them deliver lines <laughs> like that. And it's like, it was worth it just to make them hurt. It's like, what? No, it wasn't. And you didn't hurt them. And this is stupid. So they're they're literally hours hours away from the destruction of the entire resistance, and they decide to, to that the most important priority is vandalizing. Right. It's some fine. Speeders. You, if okay, you want well, to vandalize the town and leave, but to have him deliver the line that it was worth it to show that he's super duper in support of helping like the slave kids and being against the rich people. Like, and John doesn't like it. They say people who who gamble and go to Vegas are bad, and John's already on his heels and saying, <laughs> "Well, I don't agree with that at all." Like, they have very reasonable prices for for rooms and very good food. Okay, well, let's not drag each other into the ethical mud. And why? But wait, why but, if you if you oh God. okay, go ahead. If you built a casino, if you built a casino Monaco, next to Vegas. a racetrack, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely Monaco. Yeah, it was Monaco, Monte Carlo. Yeah. Or Monte Carlo. Uh, sure. If you built a casino, a high end premium luxury oh, casino play next the, to a racetrack, the, the drinks. <laughs> So, right. no Why in the world would it be so flimsily constructed that the that the race going on, which probably happens every day, would shake the drinks to the point where they spill? It's ridiculous. yeah, and like how much? I don't know. Uh, those, those are just regular horse sized things, and they're running on dirt. Like how could it shake anything? That was you know, there's lots of just right. things about it that are just mechanically, and they just spend a lot of time there, and a lot of it's the MacGuffin stuff, and you need the code breaker, and they need a reason to get in there. But like the whole thread, like look, if you if you can make it, work, you don't need the code I feel breaker. like you could make that thread work. With just like a DJ and the arms dealer, like not even having them go to a planet. Uh, but if you as can't a make the thread work, I would love to pull that thread and give more time to the other ones. And and that's that's setting aside. I love Rose. I love her her plot line. I love her like what she gets. Every, every to, to the credit of this movie, every character in it, both old and new, and like newly introduced in this movie, gets to have a hero moment and an arc, and that is very difficult to do. Um, but. Hmm. I, if you could somehow keep Rose and give her something else to do with or without Finn, uh, you know, like just I, I, I'm not against the characters and I'm not even against the message of the thing. I'm just against like what guess, guess comes the execution, to right? Yeah, like script. Yeah. Like who, yeah. the, you know, if you decide this is what this is the message we want to get out in this movie, how do we do it? And you write this shaggy dog story. It's like, mm, let's can we find a different way to get that out with less time? Um so, so yeah. here's. I think here, it could have been done. I, I would have done it the way I would have done it off the top of my head is I would have the same basic plot where you these two Rose and Finn are going to defy defy Admiral Holda's. You know, they're going to go on a secret mission uh, with Poe Dameron. You know, sort of plotting to tie into Poe's arc. Yeah, and and they go get DJ, and and it doesn't take any time, and. Then the, their whole adventure takes place on the the uh, the imperial ship. I really think and, you're missing the whole point of this thing. I don't think we're missing it. We're just complaining about how it was delivered. Like we're all on board. So, with so the okay, yeah. so the delivery is poor. It is definitely shoehorned into a movie where it doesn't need to exist. On the other hand, for the first time in Star Wars, we see two people of color going on a little adventure. Did they screw it up narratively? Yes. Could it be cut and the movie could be probably better for it? Yeah, probably. But I, you know what? There's a lot I of just, people that are watching that and yeah, being no, like, no, now, no uh, Star Wars like, I, is I, now talking I to love, me. I love Rose, and I'm, I'm even on board with the Rose-Finn kiss, which I heard people complain yeah, yeah. about. It makes perfect sense yeah. to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, no, no, uh, no. I'm not even saying that you guys are against it. I'm just saying that, like, despite the fact that this is clearly a break uh, from making it a good movie, it is um, – in service of it being a new mythology, 
we said at the beginning that you watch Star Wars over and over and over and over and over. People are going to watch this over and over. And you can't, I, I think you can't diminish what people are going to be able to take out of that little weird side adventure and, and, and hold as their own. And for that reason, I admire it. Do I think it makes it a better movie, a better coherent narrative? Probably not. But I like that they put it in there because yeah, but, but, but again, um, those it's, two it's bigger than a movie, to... right? At this point, this like, is you, not you just can, a movie. You can have what you're asking for without all of the bad things. And, and, and oh yeah, no, no, I agree when, totally. When I first saw yeah. the uh, the bomber pilot die and that Rose had the same necklace, I totally thought that they were they were partners, right? Yeah, yeah, partners. I thought they were romantically yeah, sisters, yeah. Yeah. which would have been yeah. a different way to go with that. Uh, but, but either way, yeah. like, which is the, weird because you and I both have like, you know, broken heart lockets, yeah, right? Like I always, yeah, I don't, I don't know about the whole matching lockets thing. It just always seems like a, a romantic thing. But, but what do I know? Either way, it works. It works fine either way. But like, and I, I like her character, and I like her as a foil for Finn, uh, especially since Finn is, has been having had a rough day in the Force Awakens, and is still a little frazzled in this, and she's a little bit so much more yeah. grounded. I'm not sure they did a great job selling you on the fact that she's romantically interested in Finn. You buy it based on circumstance, but like, I don't know. Again, I mean, a kiss in Star Wars is like what I know, it but you have to like. There's something you have to do in a movie to make it to, to set that up to say like I see what she right. sees in Finn. Like all you need is like one look or one line. Like here's here's the thing with these movies with movies with lots of characters. And again, I said this in the Incomparable when you have. Lots of characters. And there are lots of characters. you got the old characters, right? you got the new characters introduced in Force Awakens. Then they added more characters in this movie. That's a lot of characters. That's a Marvel movie <laughs> level of characters. When you have tons yeah. of characters, you can't give that much time to all of them. But if you want them to all have meaningful arcs, the writing is so important. You're going to get three sentences, yeah. five <laughs> meaningful glances, and, and four actions the whole movie. Build arcs out of that. You have to pack so much into those lines and those looks and those actions that if you burn one on something stupid, then it's like, oh, I didn't really pick up that that, that Rose was crushing on Finn, but now I kind of see it, right? Uh, you know, like, <laughs> it's so hard to do. And I think some of the latter-day Marvel movies, whether they be Avengers movies or, or, or Captain America Civil War or whatever, who, who just have tons of characters in them, some that we know and some that are newly introduced, do a better job of giving cleverly written, concise, information-dense uh, mm -hmm. Dialogue and lines, and, and they're they're bad Marvel yeah. movies too. But like that is a really difficult challenge. One way to avoid that challenge is to not do that, to not bite off that much, to trim down your characters, to concentrate on you know just the Ray and Kylo story thread, or you know like cut some threads, condense some things. Right. The other way is to just be How really really good at it, and it, that's hard to do. And I feel like they fell short in they fell short of even the Marvel the best the highest Marvel bar is set for this. They fell short of it. How many characters were added in Empire? Off the top of my head, you, you uh, finally get Lando, to see the Emperor. Yoda. Land, Lando has a big role. Yoda has a huge role. Uh, the Emperor is seen in a hologram, but it's like 30 yeah, seconds. You, you got so a cavalcade sort of, 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 uh, of Imperial officers who Vader chokes. <laughs> <laughs> who are good characters because of their, you know, they, they, a lot of them die off, but you got, you know, th them giving looks to each other. Like, I don't know if they count as characters. Oh, as, as an aside, as a bit character who dies quickly, I loved the Imperial officer of the, I think they called it a dreadnought. Yeah. That yeah shows the, up, the, like, the, the, the bulldog kind of guy. There's so yeah, much stuff like, I love oh. about this. Yeah. 
because I think part of the problem, one problem I have with this, both of these movies is that uh, Hux is is not he's not a badass, right? It's like Jesus is like a. He is loud, but he's no he's no Tarkin, right? Yeah, he's, I mean, he's Tarkin is yeah, terrifying. Right. Well, you know, right. well, it, here's the thing. Uh, Hitler was a great orator, and I think Hux serves that served past tense that role under uh, uh, Snoke. He's mostly there to I be just, to be Kylo Ren's annoying coworker. Yeah, I yeah, like but the, I mean, I just the, like, like the fact who, that this dreadnought captain was like, "This is an incredibly bad strategy. What are we yeah. doing?" Is I loved it, and he ends up dying for it, which is right. my favorite kind of bad guy—the bad guy that's competent enough to know that what he's doing is dumb, but yeah, tells I the mean, boss and then dies anyways. I like, think like well, Huck, I think Hux might have we might have meant to take Hux more seriously in the Force Awakens, but Ryan Johnson correctly. Uh, you know, sort of read that the audience is not entirely on board yes. taking Huck seriously, right? Yeah, so put him in yeah, this movie yeah. and show him to be as ridiculous as we all think he is. Yeah, yeah. Same thing I with, actually uh, think that that with, might have Kylo uh, Ren. That guy's uh, oh yeah, so more undercutting, like the mask and everything. <sighs> but but like, I don't yeah. even think that was undercutting because the whole the whole movie doesn't try to pull off like, oh yeah, no, Kylo Ren just likes masks. No, he's totally doing it because he's a Vader fanboy. And that bubble needed yeah. to be popped. And like, even Snow calls yeah. him out for it, which I yeah. I although love. I, didn't, I didn't like how they they really cranked over the voice to be like, oh, isn't this dumb? He doesn't affect his voice because I like yeah. Kylo Ren's voice in the Force Awakens. I yeah, like, I like that voice. I they did an awesome job. And then in the Last Jedi, they totally overcrank it and to be like, hey, yeah. do you remember how dumb this voice sounded? I'm like, oh no, it sounded cool in the first yeah. movie. So I, I kind of I honestly like that, don't. But. Well, I mean, maybe it was to sound. So one thing I do recall is that um, uh, Gruber, you didn't like when he took his mask off in the first movie. And I was a big fan because he was playing it as a power move when he took it off to Ray. Ray calls him a monster behind a mask, so he takes takes off the mask to to try to. I guess I'm okay with it now. I think I, yeah. I will rescind my criticism of that, and 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 I see it now as a like you know exactly what Syracuse just said. It he had a Vader fanboy complex, and that that can't last three movies long. It was yeah, an interesting yeah, character. It was trait. always set up to be a, as a, as an immature right. thing, like that that isn't mm-hmm. sustainable, and that right. you would imagine he would be ridiculed about. Um, yeah, and he's got so a huggy on his face, and he keeps taking his lightsaber to computer banks. Yeah, he's that's so I, not good. So it, that that parlays into something that I found interesting about the writing in both of these movies, but especially here is in the, the Last Jedi is that. Vader gets mentioned a lot, including by Snoke, and Snoke seems to have a Vader boner too. He's, you know, he he really is talking up Vader, and they don't mention Palpatine once, right? Like Vader is the guy that even Snoke seems obsessed with from the previous Dark Lords who ruled the galaxy, not uh, the Emperor. And I almost feel like that's one of those ways where the characters are speaking. Uh, for the fans, right. right? Like, if you think who's the best bad guy in Star Wars, it, you immediately say, "Well, Darth Vader. Darth Vader's probably the best bad guy in, in any movie ever made." You don't think the Emperor? Well, right? the, the Emperor and, has and the, things to recommend it, but I don't think it's so much as speaking oh, yeah, for yeah, the fans. Yeah. I think it's speaking for the original trilogy because in right. the original well, trilogy, and, 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 Vader hunted down and destroyed the Jedi. He is the big mm-hmm. bad until the Emperor wait, creeps in to wait, be really is that important. Actually said. Right? 
Yeah. Oh yeah, I know. Yes. Ben says yes. that. Ben says that. And it's yeah. not, he doesn't say yeah. Palpatine hunt Jedi. The prequels tell us basically that Palpatine is the one who killed all the Jedi. But as far as the, if you pretend the right. prequels don't exist, the original trilogy says Vader hunted down and destroyed the Jedi. So you can imagine if if Snoke has not seen the prequels, he would be like Vader. That guy hunted down and destroyed the Jedi. The Jedi were a big problem for us, and he got rid of them. So that's great. And oh yeah, there was Palpatine doing some stuff or whatever. The prequels put Palpatine right. in the driver's seat, and Vader is the stupid idiot, and we don't like those movies. Uh, I thought that was interesting. I do think I, I so I, that leads me to uh, to me. I, I think it's problematic. I think it's problematic that we're now two movies into a three movie trilogy, and it's uh, Snoke is literally just a emperor like bad guy with very strong force powers and there's no hint of a backstory like i'm not asking them to give me the backstory i'm asking for just the ord mandel yeah hint of a backstory that makes me ooh wish that i oh make a movie about that like i i to me, that is the key difference between the four, five, six trilogy and the prequel trilogy is that the four, five, six trilogy had all of these hints of things that had happened. Like all they, the, all, the entire description of the Clone Wars is just you fought with my father in the Clone Wars. That's it. You just hear that there was a thing 20 years earlier called the Clone Wars, and you it's up to you to imagine what that meant. I, all of these little yeah. little touches that hint at this big story and and Vader betrayed your father and you know you, you, there's n- none of that about like Snoke none of it there's no he's just a generic boogeyman force guy and and the thing that makes it stick out to me is i mean how old is Snoke in this movie i mean i would like, know like pretty good Lacey for is. 600 years old i don't know <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but he's he certainly looks like he's at least old enough that he was you know he's not it's, it's thirty not years younger. Young as the mileage. Yeah, right. He looks like he had his you know, head cracked he, open at one point. <laughs> yeah, a little he, bit. He was a lot, but it's it seems pretty clear that he was alive thirty years ago when the Emperor and Vader were ruling the galaxy. Like, where was this dark, powerful? Yeah, that, that's you know, what I was saying I, before. Of like, uh, it's okay for a sequel to uh, subvert expectations, but there, but this it happens so much in this movie that it's hard to not to think that it has something to do with some sort of uh, disagreement about where these things are going between uh, JJ and Ryan Johnson because Ryan Johnson doesn't just undercut some of them, but he undercuts a ton of them, and some of them, like Snoke, are like undercut in a way that is not only unexpected but that just drops it on the literally. Floor. Undercut, yeah, right. like it, it, you know. So yeah. he didn't, and, and they left uh, him on the floor. Yeah, and the thing is, I like Snoke in this movie. I thought the CG for him was yeah, great. It was great. I thought he, I thought he yeah. was a character that was distinct from the Emperor, both in style and in speaking and in force powers, and in many, yeah. many ways. He never seemed like, other than being like an ugly dude, he didn't seem Palpatine like yeah. to no. me at all. And no, we don't know where he it, comes from. But in in the first fact- movie, like he's set up to be mysterious and will you know and he'll become more important later and it's kind of like uh they did this in the prequels a ton where like count dooku's stupid guy is like he shows up he's going to be important no i'll kill him in the first scene of the next movie it's like whatever like you don't even care that much like any one of these things that we're talking about is fine to be changed in the last jedi but to change all of them and to drop all of them just makes me think that there was kind of like a hard left turn somewhere in in the story plotting for this thing and you know it totally makes it fascinating to see do we turn back 
on quote unquote on course to the JJ course, or do we continue this hard turn, or do we like do a spin out and go vertically? Um, it's going to be very interesting to see what they do in the next movie. But yeah, in this movie, so, Snoke gets to be a cool character, but John is not going to be satisfied that we learn anything about him. I mean, they could still tell you the next movie stuff about him, but it's like, he's dead now, so I really hope he's dead now. So uh, whatever we learn, it's like, oh, that's nice, but it's not a factor anymore, right? So I've got a few, I've got a few points. Sorry, John. I've got a few points about that. Well, hey, first of all, uh, if Snoke had been more compelling and probably don't have the name Snoke, I would be more interested in hearing his backstory. More compelling in The Force Awakens, you mean? Yeah, well, I mean, just... He, he is just an all-powerful thing that he's we not, don't... He's got his thing about be, being inside your mind and stuff. Like, that's no, his no, whole thing is about, it. like, mind control it. stuff. It's all, about pro- it's all about projection. But he's not, uh, say, Wolverine. He's not Darth Vader, where... Yeah, you like, need to know. How you the need to do something about where he came and, from. And you don't want it. And as soon as you reveal the backstory, it lessens the character that you actually know and love. Um, yeah. I never got that sense from but him. I, I did not care. I really... It's like, okay. I don't understand how Luke can light up his lightsaber to kill his nephew without, you know, going out to murder Snoke first. I, I, that, none of that like, makes if, sense If you're to me. worried about big sources of the dark side, you know Snoke is manipulating him. Yeah. Like, maybe maybe go to the source first. Yeah, that, that whole yeah. that Don't murder him not, instead yeah. of your nephew. It, it, that seems yeah. pretty straight up to me. Yeah. I, well, and, and that plays right into my biggest complaint, single biggest complaint about the prequels, which is not doesn't seem to be anybody else's biggest complaint. But my biggest complaint is in Revenge of the Sith at the end. Like, I'll go all the way to the end of Revenge of the Sith and, like, the beginning of the final act. And why in the world didn't Yoda and Obi-Wan go to get the Emperor together first? And then we'll figure out what never, to do with Never Anakin. split the party. But maybe... Right. Maybe just by killing the Emperor, it'll break the hold he has on Anakin. They won't even have to kill him. You know what I mean? Like, but why in the world would they separate there? Like, if they're really worried about how strong the Emperor is and they were right to be, why in the world wouldn't they go together? It was, it's the most ridiculous there, there so many, thing in the entire. There's so many ridiculous things in that movie. And you're right. That's not my biggest complaint, but that is a legit complaint. Yeah. Uh, I'm with Syracuse. That's dumb. <laughs> I liked. I, I'm with you guys. I loved Snoke in this movie. I, I wish there was a backstory, just a hint of it, just some sort of explanation. Like, like he was an, an old Jedi come from gone bad, or like he was a disciple of Palpatine, or why did he get that big split You're in right. his head? Like you don't need you don't need much. You just know what? Just, just, just call a hint him. Uh, uh, oh my god! What was the guy that started cloning the clones in Episode Two? The the big uh, Q-tip head guys. No, no, the guy that like when Kenobi shows up and he's like, "Oh yeah, uh, oh, there is a name, Master, only. What is blah, the blah, name? blah blah blah." Showed uh, up and he wanted uh, just make him that. something something for Cephas. Yes, yeah. who cares? Whatever. Cipher Diaz. Cipher Diaz. Holy cow! You are a nerd. Yeah, yeah so, that's so cool just make him Cipher Diaz. It's fine. Yes, right. That's fine. Say something like that. And then, right. You know, then kill him. No problem. I don't care about him. But right. at least you've given right. him Just, a little bit of grounding that he's been being an asshole for, right. you know, 50 right. years, 60 years. That would be great. That would have been so great. Make him – he's Cypher Diaz. He's an old Jedi, and and Palpatine sent him into exile as like a plan B yeah. decades ago. 
and that's how he also became the head of the first order. You don't have to show any of it; just you know, just a hint of it that there was a something there. I, I don't know, but in terms of what you actually see on screen, I did. I have to agree. The CGI was terrific. It was amazing. I, I totally yeah. bought him. Totally bought him. Love the acting from Andy Serkin. Love the writing. Circus. I uh, circus. All right. I I love the idea that he's sort of a, a Palpatine like guy who's who's like the uh, forte in the force is sort of mental. Yeah, he's like he's <laughs> like a counterintelligence yeah. kind of like he's in your head. Yeah, and he's like like his his whole move was connecting Ray and Kylo, and manipulating them that way, which is not an yeah. Emperor style thing yeah. to do. Non like, non consensual force time yeah. FaceTime, right. not good. That's that's creepish. And, and, right. and that, 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 that his faith in his power, like his confidence in his power was his downfall because he saw everything more or less correctly. Like in the same way that he made Ray and uh, and Kylo both see each other, like they saw legit things like, oh, I see that you're going to back me and I see that you're going to back me. All those things did happen momentarily. And that's what made them both believe that they were coming together. Like that's part of his plan. That's exactly what they use, uh, what, what Kylo uses to kill him. The only weird thing in the movie, though, and when you get Ryan Johnson on the program, Wait. you can ask him about that, is... Well, we'll get it. Yeah, he'll come out soon. He'll be coming out yeah. of the green room soon. Is that, yeah, so the, the well, movie, you know what? The, he is in the green room, actually. Yeah, so yeah. the movie is telling you... The mo I'm pretty sure, having seen it twice now, the movie is telling you, with its moving pictures and the language of movies, that... Kylo Ren comes up with the plan, the specific plan, not the general idea of, like, I totally got to kill the Snoke dude, but the specific plan of how I'm going to kill Snoke comes up with it on the spot because his lightsaber gets chucked on the floor towards him and spins because the camera focuses on that. And then he's like, ah, oh, ah. like, watch it the next time you see it, that they show you that shot. Mm -hmm. And the idea is like, oh, rotating a lightsaber is that's my way out of doing. It. And then he executes the plan by saying, like, you know, I see what's happening. And he's, you know, Snoke's reading his mind and he's he's just so right. slightly off. Right. But that he gets the idea from right. seeing his own lightsaber by happenstance spin on the floor in front of him, right. which means that it was very improvised. It's not like he went in there with like it wouldn't surprise right. me that Kylo Ren doesn't have a concrete plan. He's just kind of got anger and feelings and he he's kind of sick of the Snoke dude. And maybe this girl likes him and like. You know, he's making a connection here. <laughs> and like, so he knows what he wants to happen in general. But specifically, like, part of the reason his plan was successful is that he hadn't been thinking about it for six months leading up to this. Like, that he came up with it on the spot and that he was able to be disciplined for like 35 seconds of just thinking in sort of non specific generalities about rotating lightsabers and lighting it up. Um, and I thought that was, that was very deftly handled in contrast to the Canto Bite thread of like, you know, not, not sure. deftly handled in, in the finest possible details of execution. Okay, but let's not contrast those. I, I I agree. Let's not contrast them so much. Uh, that scene was one of my favorite scenes in all of Star Wars for a lot of the reasons that you've laid out. Um, I really, really dislike Kylo Ren. He's a bad guy. To me, he he reeks of this men's rights advocacy. Yeah, I, and, think, I think it's got to be intentional. Bullshit. He's, he's awful. He's a bad guy. Right. I mean, he's negging her. He's doing the typical abuser, exactly. abuser thing of saying, nobody cares about you but me. You're a nobody. That's exactly I'm literally the only this. person in the yeah. galaxy who yeah. thinks you're not a nobody, so you have to stay with me. That's exactly yeah. what that, yeah. But, we'll, but I think we'll he's painted but in I mean, a more sympathetic light because I feel in this movie very strongly that what Kylo Ren wants ultimately is a connection with somebody because yes. he doesn't yeah. like he's looking for that connection and he he like he failed to like he 
once he, the falling out with Luke and everything, he failed to have it with his idol Luke. His parents like sent him off to board, Jedi boarding school, and so he's a little distance from them. Plus, he's a sullen teenager, right? Uh, his boss and his coworkers are mean to him, right? He just wants the connection. He just wants a friend. He just that's the whole hand touching thing, which I think was very effective. Of like, he, right. Kylo Ren is right. just looking but, for a connection, uh, and every, every time he can't get them, then he resorts to you know the the you know pickup artist uh, strategy of just being like terrible and negative and trying and Ray's having none of that so that's not going to work the the finger touch thing was one of my favorite shots in the movie I, it it i it's like i could practically feel it you know it was like i don't know it was and, and, Ray, very and Ray's well looking for a connection too she's got a bunch of friends and stuff as well but she's looking for this connection to this wider world of the force right and luke is not really <laughs> given to her cuz he's kind of like yelling at her about the the Jedi and everything, and she's like, but I gotta, we gotta win this thing, I gotta help my friends. She's better off than Kylo, which is why she's able to resist him, and when he goes like, nobody cares about you but me, he's like, no, that's not true, I've got friends. Screw you, Kylo. And so she's out of there. Uh, One thing I think we should bring up about this movie is uh, how how visually daring it is for a Star Wars movie, Um, and it's 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 visually daring in ways that make sense if you think about, like, the huge influence of like a Kurosawa uh, uh, movies on the original trilogy and Westerns. Mm. Right. Uh, and this movie also references a lot of, uh, you know, uh, Kurosawa movies again, but also mm-hmm. Japanese animation. Uh, I'm amazed at how many articles mm. I see talking about the light speed thing that don't mention the word anime. Cause that, that whole shot is straight out of anime. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how many times have an, you guys has seen... anime done like that exact silent, uh, low contrast inverted black <laughs> yeah. and white thing with the boom. Have, have, have you still seen? Beautiful. Have you? And, yeah, 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 no. Have you seen yeah. this thing that AMC theaters are putting up a thing yeah, before yeah, the to, movie to now? Tell people that, the sound that, isn't broken. I mean that there the sound is not broken. There's a scene in this movie. I don't, I don't even know what it says exactly, but it's like the sound is not broken, no matter what you think. Because apparently there's so many people who are so cinematically ignorant that they don't get that the silence of that. Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't. You don't expect most people to have this reference because only if you're an anime nerd have you seen this a million times. And I, and to be clear, no, no, in the prequels they did this. They did it. They did the yeah. sound thing. They, with, they, yeah, no, no. With the sonic bombs. Uh, Boba Fett or J- what? Jango Fett. Jango Fett. No, that was just that was yeah. just the uh, the travel time distance of light and sound difference. They didn't do that, but that's no. not the same. No, as no, this. no. The, no, I was sitting in the cinema. The oh, sound oh, cuts oh, the out. Poster, the poster, you mean? I thought you meant the actual. No, not the poster. Like Jango Fett no. drops a bomb. There is and about it's less two seconds. It's, it's less. Yeah, that, I said, that's yeah. just the travel time distance, reason light and sound, like the same way you hear the thunder. You There's hear no sound you space. Hear the There's a, it. It is it's, cinematically it though it has the same effect. Exactly, it's but, like, but, but it's not the it, same. It's, the anime effect is a very specific thing. Like I'm okay, surprised people okay, haven't done compilations okay. on YouTube of like look at this exact scene in anime a million times. It's always about yeah. some well, large. I'm sorry projectile. to try to say something it, nice about the prequels, but uh, it's, it's it's a different it's a different slightly different reference. All right, and and like <laughs> so to be clear. This is exactly what great movies do, is they are inspired by other great movies and they incorporate them. And the reason The Last Jedi is interesting is it incorporates some new influences in terms of uh, filmmaking and shots. I mean, the the scenes where they cut away from Rey and they have like time-lapse photography of plants growing, you've never seen that in a Star Wars movie. That is a, a, you know, you've seen it in other movies, but it's, it's a cinematic language that is not previously been brought into star wars bringing into it so it's broadening the horizon I, of the kinds of shots you can expect to see in a star wars movie i i can't it's agree with you more it, and one of the my favorite things about the the bond franchise is that the um the opening sort of credits are non-literal 
filmmaking. You can do whatever the hell you want in those credits. As long as the silhouette's a woman. Well, (laughs) okay, sure, that's the trope. But... It, it I mean, at least to me, like, it's like, look, this is a visual thing that we can sort of divorce ourselves from trying to tell the narrative, even though they kind of tell narrative. But it's, uh, it's, 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 it's divorced from, like, the actual characters doing something it's, in a it's, scene. It's non-literal. Non-literal, yeah. yeah. I, I, and, I, and I really, it's, really it's, admire them for doing that. And they've stuck to that for, I don't know, 30 years, more I, I thought that the footage of the the foliage growing, the grass growing, in in time lapse, it, it, and it was beautiful too. It's, it's key, but it, it immediately made me think that it was of Terrence Malick. Yeah, uh, yeah, he does a lot of that stuff. And, and oh, he, I mean, his his movies have kind of devolved into nothing but that <laughs> stuff, and I'm still love it. And, and I, 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 you know, I, I should someday do a whole show about his movies, and and I love the whole like. Talk about a guy who went into exile for thirty years, you know, <clears throat> disappeared, made some of the most beautiful, powerful movies in the late seventies ever made, and then <laughs> just disappeared for thirty years, and then came back and started making a movie every couple of years. But his yeah. movies are kind of devolved into nothing but that stuff. But if you've never seen, like, uh, you know, probably the most approachable of his recent movies would be The Thin Red Line. Oh yeah, and it's this war movie, okay. and, and there's just oh, in the midst of this tense Pacific. World War II drama. There's just beautiful shots of birds and trees and People stuff like wings, that. Yeah. And and, and um, yeah. you know what? Very few helicopters flying over yeah. rice paddies with right. like Rolling Stones and playing. Just, right. Yeah. But anyway, I thought that was cool. And 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 it, it's both beautiful. I, I thought it was cinematically daring, as you said, and it felt like this is what they're saying the force is about. One second, Syracuse, you mentioned uh, uh, the plants growing slowly thing, and I, I kind of want to call that up. They're growing faster, yeah. Yeah, no. Uh, Anna, do you have the name of the movie on your mind? Oh, that's been in a million movies. I mean, that shot is that shot is a trope in itself. I mean, I, I, I'm i sure yeah. it's been in Terrence. The tree of Anna life Quisi? probably had like seven I, times. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'll look it up. I'll yeah, put but, it but in like, the show notes. But, but there's a specific movie about like that very slow motion kind of stuff happening. Kyanoskatsi? Yes. That's exactly that, that's what I was looking for. That's a whole movie of that type of stuff. Yeah. Yes. That's exactly what I was looking for. Yeah, and I thought I, you and, mentioned but, that. But, but, and I wanted, like, to, I wanted to call it out because I think people should watch that. Yeah, that's a weird one. Um, some of the other yeah. references, like the throne room, the look of the throne room. I wasn't totally on board with look of the throne room. Some people love it, some people don't, but it's in the end, it's an aesthetic choice, and they went with it. My main complaint with the throne room is, unfortunately, they I think they do things a little bit, not in the wrong order, but mechanically speaking, once you kill Snoke, I don't feel like there's any reason for the red guys to fight anybody. And I know they want to have a fight scene, and the fight scene is cool, and I appreciate that. But I I lose the plot thread of like why are these red guys fighting again? They should be bailing because once once Snoke's dead, they're out of there, right? I don't right. I don't see that they would have any loyalty. Like once the Emperor's dead, uh, Luke didn't have to deal with the Royal Guards. So like I didn't and I didn't care about those red guys. They have no characters. They literally have no faces. I don't care about them at all. They're disposable. Um, I, I know you want to see uh, Kylo and Rey fight. You can get that in a different way. I think they needed to structure that a little bit differently. So I'm 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 not as engaged in that fight. As yeah. as uh, as I could, I be. thought that the fight the the fight clearly only served to get Ray and Kylo into conflict without having them 
fight because they just <laughs> yeah, teamed need, up to they beat needed to have each other's back. You needed the moment when they when they joined right. forces against a common enemy. It just so happens that the common enemy they joined forces against is kind of nonsensical. Like it doesn't it doesn't work in the movie. I don't I don't. First of all, I don't care about these red guys, and second of all, I don't really as much as I do care about them and I understand them. I don't believe that they have a particular motivation to fight these guys. Nor do I think they would be a match for these guys. Right. So I don't know what you do to fix right. that, but. Right. Like I, I want, I understand them wanting those moments, but I feel like the red guys were, <laughs> man. And other people disagree, though. The other people love it, but like nobody cares about those damn red guys. I don't, I don't even know what they're called. So, so and, and I, I, like I enjoyed watching the fight, and I do think that like I don't even know what like eight red guys versus two, yeah, maybe they would have ripped them to shreds. Could, could, could have happened, but yeah. uh, in terms of motivation, I, it, it, it leaves me wanting a little bit more explanation as to why they would do that yeah but but that but the choreography I, and the lighting in that fight scene was also the departure and uh, it's part of the things i don't like yeah. it kind of looked like a like a, a 60s oh, it's Hollywood beautiful. musical like it's very yeah. very yes, well lit yes, and yes. the big backdrop and I like, oh my I like god the that, that is they burn the backdrop which is, is a cool look yeah, you know right. but but it was it was very strange for a star wars movie i loved it yes and, and i like here's the thing uh, I, I know that as a movie, this falls short in, in, in any number of ways, but the chances it takes, given the, the strictures it could have been under, amaze me. And this throne room being all red and like the visuals of this, uh, it, it blows my mind. What if they made it a musical number? I'm incredibly impressed that this makes a screen. That would be even more daring. Just in the middle of Star Wars is a musical number where where Kylo and Rey sing during this whole fight. Yeah, well, I'll send you this Star Wars, Star Wars, (laughs) Star Wars musical. Just go through some more references. The the Luke, the Phantom Luke, uh, Kylo battle. Straight references to anime tropes of heels sliding in the dirt and the exact shot choices it's of people, an running, anime trope. Pe- people running fucking... towards each other. I know, I know, it's like you know, it's Yujimbo a, it's and, a... yeah, it's Kurosawa, but 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 the, but yeah. anime the, Kurosawa's shots during those battles are not the same. Anime shots of choosing to I show agree. the two people running at each other and choosing which shots you show show the foot, show the person, show the eyes, show that like it's straight up an anime trope. And yes. again, I love it yeah. for that, right? And I love yeah. the fact that a lot of people are seeing it who have no idea it's an anime trope, but just think it's cool because it is cool. Like this is what I'm I love not, about yeah. Tarantino movies that he brings all his influences into his movie right. making, even if it's not the same genre. So I want more of this. I want more directors who are enthusiastic about other genres and other ways of visual storytelling to bring all that into Star Wars because I think it can support it. Um, right. So you've mentioned earlier, Syracuse. You mentioned earlier that uh, it's a. Um, uh, I guess Star Wars tradition to have like you know and, and and elsewhere in science fiction as well, but you know Hoth is the ice planet and Endor is the forest moon, and uh, Crate is the salt planet. Like I love I, that's such a clever th- way to get another you know like you're you're running out of climates right <laughs> like there's a, they've had an ocean planet they've had this they've had that the salt planet is a pretty cool idea and the the red ground underneath the white salt is it's, uh, it's a planet designed by an art director mm-hmm. exactly. i give them a pass on it because right, it's cool let, I, I i feel kind of bad for them because <laughs> uh the 2000 the jj 2009 reboot of star trek already kind of did the red planet 
and I feel bad because like they kind of stole some. Of Remember that one, like the opening scene with like uh, yeah, 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 with Kirk and everything was kind of red. This was red, red covered with the white. You know, yeah, yeah. but but it, but anyway, the red stuff. I thought the red the red planet was cool. I totally give them that. I'm like, oh, the only reason they made it red is so it would be cool. Yeah, that's why they made it red, and it is cool. So accept it. <laughs> <laughs> it's an alien world. They can make up any ones they want. I have one last sponsor to thank. Then we'll talk a little bit more, and then we'll see if we have time to get Ryan Johnson out of the green room. But I want to yeah. thank you. I want to thank that green room. Pretty back. packed back there. I got to tell you. Yeah. Well, the the problem might be that I have a, it's an open bar. Yeah. Um, yeah. Backblaze. Look, Backblaze offers unlimited cloud backup for Macs and PCs, and it's just five bucks a month per mac or pc that you back up and it backs up all of your documents your music your photos your videos your drawings your projects everything that's your stuff all gets backed up there is no limit this is the thing people don't believe well they think you say well yeah but i got a four terabyte drive well it doesn't matter the only limit on how much you can back up is the speed at which you can back it up it you know there's no magic way to make your four terabyte drive full of movie movies back up faster than your internet connection. But yeah, it's like whatever you've got connected to your machine, it gets backed up. Um, and then you can access your backup from anywhere in the world with another device where you sign into Backblaze, including like your phone. You can get their app, you sign in, and then there's all of your stuff from your machine at home and you can get it and do whatever you want with it. Uh, when catastrophe strikes, if something happens and you need to get a restore, you don't have to download the whole thing. What you can do if you need to like restore the entire thing, your entire backup, you can get it uh, by purchasing a hard drive from Backblaze with all of your data on it, and they'll overnight it to you by FedEx. And after you get it back, you can return the drive to them and get a full refund. So if you don't need the drive, you can do that, have your entire backup delivered by FedEx the next day, send the drive back to them, and and. They'll give you your money back for the drive. They've had over 20 billion files restored from their customers. It's gimmick-free. There is no catch. It's 5 bucks a month per machine for full backups. So go to backblaze.com slash daringfireball. They'll know where you came from, and uh, they'll continue to support the show. And they have a 15-day free trial. So you can uh, go to backblaze.com slash daringfireball. Sign up. Install the software. See how good it is. Within the 15 days, your whole thing will be backed up. You can you'll you'll see how it works. The way that it's it's really non-disruptive to your Mac. It doesn't you know make your CPU go hot or anything like that. Um, go try it out for a 15 day free trial. My thanks to Backblaze for sponsoring this uh, Star Wars holiday spectacular. Just to save you from uh, annoying corrections, I want to. Uh mentioned that we did look up while during one of these ad reads that the movie we were trying to get the reference for that big zoom shot in canto bite is the 1927 silent movie wings okay we have it in the uh, show notes in you're the responsible for in that the... i just want people to feel bad when after they tweet you after <laughs> they tweet you that the movie is wings and they keep listening to this podcast eventually they're going to hear me say this and go oh i should have kept listening that's right you should yeah well, yeah this is like a battleship potemkin moment where you're, yeah yeah you really want to call it that right. I little, think... little known fact r2d2 was uh, actually built by backblaze <laughs> Does it make sense that R two that Luke didn't take R two with him to uh, what's the name of that planet? Uh, Octu. Who cares? Which sounds Whatever. like a snake. it's Luke's world. That's 
That's fine. It's, I don't think I don't it's ever mentioned I, in the movie, so who cares? I thought that you needed an astromech droid to to to, to do the hyperspace stuff with, like an X-wing. Yeah, nah. I don't know. Maybe nah. maybe got him there and and gave him a shuttle back. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like R two is one of those characters that gets cut a little bit, and I, and honestly, I'm I'm yeah. fine to see three PO and R two fade off into the sunset with the rest of the old characters. Yeah. You can give them cameos and stuff, but they're they're not the stars of this show. Yeah. Do you think BB-8 has a little bit too much of a role, though? Like BB-8 yeah, they, they're uh, driving the what an, they want, a, like, an ATST. Yeah, I, I give it mostly a pass. I know some people bother by that. Honestly, it did not occur to me to be bothered by that at all because I feel like that that BB-8's character from the unlike R two uh, and three PO for that matter, BB-8 has always been a little bit of an action hero. Like he's more mm-hmm. dynamic because he's not limited by the special yeah. effects. So maybe it's a little bit silly. And and speaking of more stuff that could get cut, like. Phasma and Finn's arc of getting vengeance on Phasma for being mean mm-hmm. to him. I'm okay and... with that, but why the hell is BB-8 writing yeah, an like, ATST? Why, why, that is, is... why is Phasma coming back to fight like that? I understand. <sighs> like Phasma looks. Yeah. Phasma is kind of like the Boba Fett, but it's like as if yeah. Boba Fett. But they knew how how popular Boba Fett would be. Like, like the, the, I think the uh, the media cycle was too slow in the original trilogy. That fans were mm-hmm. all hyped about Boba Fett, but the movies treated him. Like, not badly, but he didn't have that much screen time. Whereas nowadays, people know, like, how no, we're going to make a new Boba Fett. And we know Come how on. cool Phasma is. And we know how much yeah. people love BB 8 because in this information economy, we know exactly how much the toys they're buying from it. Like, and so uh-huh. I feel like they, they felt like they needed to put that in the movie. And you can make that work, but this is a busy movie. There's a lot of people doing things. And you just don't, honestly, you don't have time to establish why anyone should care about Phasma and, you know, remembering yeah. back to Finn's deal with him. And then BB-8 doing a weird heroic thing. BB-8 got enough hero moments. He's shooting coins at people. He's shoving his head <laughs> against a panel, which I think was... Cl- <laughs> Again, you want to make uh, BB-8 do a funny thing to help the X-Wing? I'm all on board with that. Once you get down to yeah. brass tacks and yeah, tell me like how you're going to do it, I was on board with the little fingers in the dike, too. But when he shoves his head against yeah, it... Yeah, I did, too. Yeah, I, yeah, like yeah. I like that. I like that whole thing. I like that whole sequence. Sense. I don't like it. It's like, I know what you're going for. <sighs> Give a better punchline. A lot of things in this movie felt like you know get get Josh Whedon in here to punch it up a little bit because like I I'm totally on board with your joke it's a good droid joke just the punchline was just a little bit off right so yeah but they, they at ST going around I I didn't mind that I didn't think that's ridiculous because I believe yeah. BB-8 could totally do that but is, is it a scene that advanced the plot or expanded on anyone's no, character anyway not. or did you just need yeah. some way to get those guys out of a jam yeah uh I thought, and I, you know, it's complaining about the whole Rose uh, Finn thread. I felt like having one more thing come back to climax at that exact moment of uh, Admiral Holdo, Holdo, you know, light speeding into the cruiser to have their execution be seconds away at the same moment was just. Oh, no, no. Their, one their, thing their, uh, their kiss was simultaneous with the door being breached on the base. Like in the background when Rose kisses Finn, I thought this was good filmmaking. Like Ryan Johnson has some good his mm-hmm. good hero moments. Like that they when uh, when she kisses Finn in the background out of focus is the door being breached by the big gun that Finn was trying to fly into. Oh, I think that's now that I don't have a complaint with that. I'm saying when they were on the ship and they were ready to be executed, I think oh, it was yeah, too yeah. much well, that it was that's the just exact... movie, movie making coincidence time. 
uh, and then, you know, and then, but then it, it it didn't make any sense afterwards. Where they were laying, where they were laying, and yeah, nobody else who was, was around them was that, around. Them. Everyone who was standing up was killed. Like it's a lot of like is like right. you give you give a movie a lot of these things. Like you're like I give you that, I give you that, but eventually you feel like I don't. I'm you've used your budget of how much how much <laughs> how much movie coincidence right. I'm willing to give you, how much plot flab I'm willing to allow. Um, that's another thing. Like the with yeah. so Finn. That this is another arc of the movie of like people in the resistance learning lessons and perhaps those lessons being taught on the job in a way that is not appropriately uh, respectful of the lives of the people who are part of the training program. Like let's teach Poe to be a good leader by having a bunch of people be killed. But anyway, Finn is flying towards the big gun. He's like, I'm going to sacrifice myself. Uh, lots of nerd complaints about details of the movie. Like why is the steel melting on his guns, but his face isn't melting. Like, it's fine. It, the, the pod is off to the left. The guns are in the path of the beam. The pod isn't like whatever. Like I don't. Right. I don't have any problem. I do not have nerd. Pro- like you can get nerd problems with anything in the movie, uh, but once you're once you're picking on nerd problems, there's obviously something bigger going on. That's the problem. So I'm not concentrating on those. But the main thrust of that is, uh, was Rose right to knock Finn off course? Like because clearly the movie wants you to think that she is right because it says they give her let her have a speech and say this is the way we win, not by you know. Uh, destroying the things we hate by by saving the things that we love and i love you and that's why i saved you my read on the movie is that the movie is trying to communicate and i believe that if finn flew into that big gun would have done nothing because he's a little yeah, ship i think so and too. he's flying into a big hot right. thing right. that's probably pretty sturdy and even if it yeah. hadn't fired even if he flew into it before it fired he's not gonna stop that damn gun right. uh and even if he did stop the gun they would just bring another one down like that it would have actually been a useless gesture and that Finn was just trying to be like, no, we've got to win. we got to beat him. And his his arc, as silly as it might be, was like to learn not to be all like you got to beat everybody. He'd already beaten Phasma, so it's tough yeah. to have him doing something pig-headed again. But really, it's part of Rose's arc well, to showing her being yeah. more level-headed and say, don't be an idiot, Finn. Like, we need you and the Resistance, and what you're doing now is dumb. And Poe has figured it out. He learned his little arc after millions of people died. Mm-hmm to be like, let's not do the suicide mission to be the hero. Let's preserve what we have left. Again, I think Poe's arc is also very ham-fisted and maybe not as sort of mature and believable as it could be. But uh, I'm mostly on board with Rose being right. The Finn was being stupid and the Rose was being smart. And that that is Rose's hero moment of her saving Finn from himself and getting the smooch before she passes out. I agree completely. Uh, but Poe's arc is, uh, I mean, we should probably talk about that, but that's it's it's not on the not job good. training. I mean, pick a different time. Use a little bit of like on a the job track. training, but but for Finn, let let's stick to Finn. Uh, his character has always been about running away, right? And this was the one time that he thought, like, I'm going to die in service of these people, and it was dumb. He picked a dumb time to do it he's so he's not just running yeah. away he's always like he always seems like a a, a man out of place like that he, he sure. obviously is not he, yeah. his place was in the first order but he's he's not down with that and he wants to be part of the resistance but in the in the force awakens he's like he's play acting to being part of the resistance he would like to be but he's not really now he's really part of the resistance but he doesn't quite know how to do that because he's still <laughs> like the first order is going to get us and you know he's He's a, a kind of a, a bit of a confused character that they haven't nailed down, which is fine. Like, he can be I, kind of so scattershot, but I, they, the movie doesn't quite know what to do with him. Like, they, they know he's got charisma, and he's got chemistry, and he's really into Ray, 
this movie, they derail him to say, you're not really into Ray. She's just like your first friend. Ray's not into you. Yeah. So when Ray sees uh, Finn with Rose, Ray is like, oh, that's good. Those two should get together because I'm totally not into Finn. Well, uh, yeah. Okay. So forget about that. But the the point I'm trying to make is that previously when confronted with a problem, Finn has tried to escape it. And yet this was the first one where he could put his life on the line and try to take down that AT-AT. It's like he well, overcompensated. No, he, he, he fought off uh, he, yeah, Kylo Ren. It's like he overcompensated in a really dumb way. But then and, The Force uh, Awakens, I, he, he defends Rey from Kylo Ren. He's, no, he's no, willing to I, attack. Like it, It's his hatred. I mean, the message in there is that he's totally like, we can't let them win. The First Order is evil. We got to beat him. Poe is re- ready to peel off. And he's like, no, no, we got to win. Because he really hates The First Order from his traumatic experience but, with them. But in The, in the Force Awakens, he did it for Rey. And in this movie, he did it for people he didn't even know. Or right. he, at least he tried to do it. But I, I think that for- that's a bit of his arc going well, but from the Force like, Awakens one. He, I think he did arguably do some good that uh, because he did yeah. soften up yeah. Kylo Ren yeah. a little bit. Yeah. yeah. All right. I I liked the Luke Skywalker climax, and I will Me admit, too. and I think I I think I am a pretty astute watcher of films and noticer of things, and. Uh, detector of oh i see where they're going and i i have to admit i was completely yeah, fooled i was completely by fooled too and i think part of the reason I, we were look, both fooled i believed it i believed every moment of it even after even after Kyle Ren the... runs him through with a lightsaber i was like man he's really good yeah you're still trying I, to figure it out of like what is he, is he like I, yeah like, i really I, thought I he was it. that good i honestly did but, and yeah, I'm like, I, oh, well, here's God. the thing right. i think part of the reason at least for me i'm just speaking for myself but maybe possibly this is true for john as well the reason I was so easily fooled, A, I think it's done pretty well. Like, it's it's yeah. it's done well enough that a lot of people are going to be fooled. But B, I was 100% engaged in watching what yep. was going to happen yep. with Luke. Like, because I have invest, I have a vested interest in Luke. Luke is important in my life. And so when he finally yeah. shows up for his climactic battle, like, and especially, and here's the thing. When, when they're, like, they I fire mean, all the guns at him. I mean, what's he going to do? Pick up a laser sword and take, a, yeah, take no, on the whole empire? Yeah. When they fire Guess all what? the guns yeah. at him, I thought it was comical <laughs> and it was ridiculous. But already yeah. my brain was like... But how can this be explained? Well, he could maybe like make a force shield around them, and he—we don't know how strong he Who really cares? is. Force. It's been thirty right. years. Yeah. Like, I wasn't even willing to accept the data my brain was giving me about Luke to say I, this is I ridiculous, right? I, and I continued to buy it after the onslaught of of blaster fire because yeah. they didn't show it, and I thought that's brilliant. Don't show me him. Yeah, he's not deflecting it. Like deflecting the cloud all the and he comes out of the thing. cloud, right? <laughs> Or, or show me that he dug a hole or, or whatever. Just have it be a cloud and have him come out and dust his shoulder. And it's like, right. and, and, I, I and was so... We're, because we're all, we're all so invested in Luke. And we're willing to go right. with literally almost anything. And I thought it was great because this is another great pull the rug out of like, it perfectly explains yeah. the ridiculousness instantly. And it's, a, it's an amazing yeah. win for Luke. When they showed him floating over that thing, it was like, yes. Because that is that's, that's what, this is what people yeah. wanted from Yoda in like, the prequels. They didn't want him fighting with lightsaber. They wanted right. him like, using his force, like being smart. Right. Work, work smarter, not harder. Like, Luke, right. it, was, it was an amazing triumph by not fighting, which yeah. is totally on brand for Luke. Yes. And, I really, and, I, and that's what I wanted it, to say at the beginning is that uh, Luke wins again a massive victory. Without, without fighting. lifting his lightsaber even once. 
Right. And the crazy part, there were so many clues. Yeah, he's got and his lightsaber. We just saw like, break in half like 10 minutes ago. Yeah, he's holding it nothing hand. makes sense. Right. But I, I was he, like, <laughs> he's got the he's got he's got the wrong lightsaber. The, now I I don't blame myself for missing this, but he doesn't leave yeah, footprints. I don't blame myself for missing that either. But it's nice. Yeah, that's cool. But the yeah. lightsaber. That's pretty amazing. He's got the just for men. He's got the just for men covering up the gray in his beard. He got a haircut. He lost some weight. <laughs> he looks better. Uh, I didn't notice and, any and of that is, And the reason I you don't notice is, remember the scene that precedes this is him with Leia, and that is an emotionally charged scene right. because Carrie Fisher oh. is dead now, and because like every line in that yep. scene could also be read as Mark Hamill talking to Carrie Fisher, as yep. well as Luke talking yep. to Leia, and it's an incredibly okay. emotional scene. Here's 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 me chiming in with, if they had hired me, and they said, John Gruber, here's, here's the screenplay to The Last Jedi. We're only going to take one note from you. And I could give one note. My, if I could only give one note on the whole movie, my note would have been that play that 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 scene where Luke comes out of the shadow. Leia senses his presence and is aware of it before anybody else is, and there he is, and they make eye contact, and there's a moment, and then the first words of their interaction, I would have said that Luke says to Leia, "I'm Luke Skywalker. I'm here to rescue you." <laughs> yeah, that would have been good. I think it would have brought the house down. And, and you know, I'm not an actor. I can't do it the right way. Hamill could have done it. Just do it the right way where he knows and she knows and he knows that she knows. Because mm-hmm. they did that so, they did that so many it. times in, in The Force Awakens and all sorts of sly references that it would have worked. They went for the, I, I, right. If I had to have a note in that scene, I would have been like, uh, the dice is touched on for Han. Works because the dice were there in Star Wars and everything, but they were never featured prominently in the movie, and I don't think mm-hmm. anybody except for super fans even knows they were there. And so maybe find a different touchstone for Han other than the dice. But I mean, mm. I guess they they basically established the dice in this movie because he pulls them off the Millennium Falcon, and we believe they're there. Right. But it wasn't something that resonated back through the original trilogy. Again, even though those dice were there in the original trilogy, they were like yeah. blurry on a standard VHS copy that you know we ne- we never really saw them. So. <laughs> that I don't sh- not sure that landed that well, and the rules about force projection, and you can give uh, Leia a kiss and put a physical object in her hand that's not really there, but he doesn't leave footprints because that's the clever hint. It's like, what are the rules about force projection? Do you interact with the physical world when you're there? Or do you not? Is it entirely inside people's heads? Then if it's in people's heads, then how do the droids see them? Force projection is is right. too new for us to know exactly how it works, but that's another thing about this movie. Mechanically speaking. They tried to establish both that force projection is a thing and that it's really hard and it might kill you. They tried to establish that earlier in the movie with dialogue between Kylo and right. and, uh, and yeah. Ray, and I felt that was slightly clumsily done. Like they did the right thing to try to establish, but it wasn't exact. Even on two viewings, I feel like it wasn't clearly established enough. I get what they were going for, but the the lines and the context and everything was a little clumsy. So you kind of had to back. I was like, oh, yeah, that's what, I mean, what Ka- they were talking about before. Carlos says, oh, you can't be doing this. It would kill you. It, exactly. Like that. And that's, that's basically yeah. all you get. Yeah. And it's not entirely clear yeah. that what they're doing is the same as what Luke does. Like, it, it fits right. together. It's just, it's, yeah. a li- it's a little bit shaky. Um, uh, like like yeah. so many things in this. Like, but when, yeah, a I mean, bit also, of, like, uh, Snoke's non-consensual FaceTiming is weird. Like, 
Yeah, like the same yeah. thing to, to get the idea that they are not choosing to do this. Again, they establish right. that by saying, "I don't want to be doing this either." Is it weird time for you? And now you're taking off your shirt, and like they they do establish yeah, yeah, that yeah. someone else. Well, is my theory is them. that that guy was hanging out with his shirt off all day, just waiting for the call. Yeah, well, you know, when you look like that, you gotta what? get a. Yeah. One exactly. of my one of my favorite and most often quoted Stanley Kubrick quotes is uh, that sometimes the truth of a thing isn't in the think of it, but in the feel of it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that is the definition of any of the science in Star Wars, right? And of course, like the the worst possible thing in the, 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 the expl explaining things that shouldn't be explained was the whole midichlorians thing in the prequels, where it's like, stop, 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 stop trying to tell me that this makes sense. It always felt like it made sense before. Leave it at that. Don't try to make it logical sense. And to me, Luke's force projection at the end. It, I don't care what the rules are. It, it works for me because. Oh yeah, it felt no, I'm, I'm like just saying like it's another uh, no, uh, right. another slight inconsistency, but yeah, it totally, it totally works for the feel. I'm just saying like mechanically speaking, it, it would be better if the if the movie had more firmly established that force projection is a thing and what the costs are. And they they did try to establish right. it, but it was it, it went by fast enough that you wouldn't. And they had plenty of time in those force scenes. And by the way, this right. is something I haven't heard anyone talk about, but I think it's one of the best. I don't. It's not like a scene. One of the best decisions. One of the best, the most interesting things to me in this movie that I haven't heard anyone talk about is during the various force time conversations between uh, uh, Ray and Kylo Ren, <laughs> at one point, um, Ray, Ray is narrating her own descent into the big blowhole thing, mm -hmm. right? Like, I went down there and I saw this thing and I thought, you know, like she, she's doing a voiceover for herself. She's obviously describing something after the fact, right? And it's long. Like, she narrates it, she's talking about it, so on and so forth. And the reveal, which apparently was much more uh, impactful to me than it was to anyone in the audience or anyone who has seen this movie, is the reveal is this long, drawn-out, heart-to-heart conversation about what it was like in the big dark side blowhole thing is to Kylo Ren. And it seemed like she would be pouring her heart out to Luke. That's the big reveal. Yeah. Is like oh, they, I thought the they same switched thing. the scene. It's like, yeah. and she's she's telling this to Kylo Ren, and that is the big turn in their relationship. Do you realize that it's, she's not just an yep. unwilling force time victim? That, because they go on for like for you know for three minutes and a very long scene with multiple shots, and you're you're in mm -hmm. world and what's in the cave. But the big reveal is she's pouring her heart. She's she's on the phone with Kylo Ren talking about this stuff, and I thought that was a great turn, great movie making, <laughs> and apparently. No one else cared about it because in the two showings, no one gasped at it other than me. Oh, I like heard anyone talk about it. I, I did not get to mention it. Like I thought that was great—a great way to communicate very strongly that the relationship between these two has changed. Yeah. All right. Well, on that point, I think it's an important point. Do you think that what Kylo Ren said to Ray about her parentage was the truth, or? Not the truth. From a certain and point I'll of view. I'll go first. I I think it will. I think it was the truth. I think that in their shared force time, his insight into her background, and I also feel like it's it's backed up on second viewing of him saying, "You know, it's true. You've known it all along, and you've just hidden it. Your parents were just losers on Jaco, and they sold you for drinking money." And I, I, honest to God, think that that's just the truth. I think the people who are holding on to the idea that she's a Skywalker or a Kenobi or whatever, are you're missing the point. And I, I, and I also feel like that's part of the way this trilogy is trying to break forward, which is that anyone know, can be a Jedi. The Force, you know, right? And right. and might be a, a, a not just a Jedi, but like a a 
key Jedi, a master Jedi, for lack of a better. Yeah, and term. honestly, I don't think the anything about the 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 entirety of Star Wars is against that. Maybe you could say the original trilogy was because of the whole Skywalker lineage thing. But right, right. the prequels are all about, hey, kids are born all the time that have force powers, and we right. seek them out and bring them to our Jedi boarding school. And so that's that's pretty right. firmly established that it can come from anywhere. It's just the original trilogy is so obsessed with with you know the Clintons and the Bushes or whatever yeah. that we can't get out of the, uh, <laughs> right. our own way. On, on the family stuff. Right, because there's only been, and part of the, you know, to, to not fault the original trilogy, part of it is that there's only like three, three or four force powerful people yeah, you don't have that many left in the by, galaxy. Right? And two of them happen to be yeah. twins, and their father is one of the other survivors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so everyone ends up being related. Um, so, uh, um, I think, well, here's the thing there's the meta level where there's the danger of like, yeah, but maybe the next director will just decide, oh, actually, he was totally lying, and I want to make her like a Kenobi or something, right? Because given how these first two movies have gone and how it seems like making, you know, sharp turns, who knows what could happen? But just saying in this movie, as it is, without worrying about what the next, what J.J. is going to decide to do in the next one, and what maybe J.J. had in his head from the beginning when he has like Kenobi say Ray or whatever, um, mm-hmm. I think... What Kylo Ren is saying is true from a certain point of view in the same way that everything that, that, that they both believe in this movie comes true, but isn't really the truth of it. So he's saying it to be hurtful, right? I believe right. that her parents, right. uh, the, the, my headcanon is that he's trying to make her feel bad. Her parents weren't anybody important, but they didn't throw her away like garbage, right? That's that's the uh, middle ground I think I, going yeah. like. So I'm, I'm on board with the idea that the, the kernel of truth is that you're not a Skywalker. You're not a Kenobi. You're just a person. But my impression from seeing The Force Awakens is that her parents left her with this person and flew away, but that she did come from a loving family. Her hair was nicely braided. She looked like she was pretty clean, that her parents were either forced to give her up or she was kidnapped or whatever. And maybe her parents are dead in a pauper's grave and never could get her back or whatever, but that she actually... Like, the whole reason she's waiting for her parents to come back is because she has good memories of having parents. She wasn't that young. She was, like, three or four. She misses her mom she's, or her parents. She's calling to them as they fly away. So I believe her parents weren't just piece of crap drunks who sold her for money. That's Kylo adding stuff to twist the knife. But I'm willing to believe, if the next director agrees with me, that it's okay and that it's reasonable for her yeah. not to be uh, one of the, you know, the important families that we know about. So I agree. And... and- I mean, I can't help but put Kahlo in the men's rights activist pickup artist kind of category. Uh, he's nagging her the whole time. And, you know, when he says your parents are nothing, you're nothing, you are meaningless except to me, that is a play that I, I don't – I fundamentally don't believe. I can't read that as being true. He is a villain and – what he is saying is is villainous. Now, does that tell us who her parents are? No, and that's that's fine. I mean, could there be nobody's? Maybe, as you said, probably. You know, could could be people that were good people that had to leave. Um, I'm a Kenobi fan. I would, I would be happy if there was some relationship there. But I, in, you know, my personal well-being, I would be happier if uh, they did turn out not to be from some sort of noble lineage, but was in fact a new Jedi. Yeah. 
and I think that would be great. Just start start her own family. Uh, give exactly. her a last name. Uh, so, yeah. uh, and on on the subject of midichlorians, uh, I always find myself as the uh, and the odd man out as being a, a weird defender of midichlorians as things that make sense because the original trilogy firmly establishes that the force is strong in your family it's hereditary yeah right the force is 100 percent hereditary the original trilogy makes no bones about that how can you have something that's hereditary that's not biological midichlorians are still stupid you didn't need to put them in the movie you don't need to explain them but it does make some vague logical sense that if you're going to make some sort of thing that you can measure about someone whether they're strong in the force that it would be some kind of biological test and it actually also makes sense that the only people who would know about this biological test was back when the Jedi were at their full strength and they were in the heart of their knowledge and it wasn't just like people don't even believe a Jedi are real or whatever. Anyway, Midichlorians are dumb. I don't like them. It doesn't but I'm even just make... saying, like, the right. Jedi, the Force And it doesn't make any family. sense because the the idea is that in the, it, take the prequels is that Anakin didn't even have a father, so the oh, family started with, with him. That. I can't handle it. Yes, I know. I know. I know. I agree. But it, <laughs> the the proof that the but the proof that the Force was strong in his family is just that he had one set of twins and they were both strong in the well, Force. Well, that's all. Thanks for like, hereditary stuff. Like you got you got one right. set of professional baseball players, and that's all. Like right. uh, Steffi Graf and Andre right. Agassi's kids are going to be good tennis. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that. <laughs> but, yeah. and then the, 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 you should have gone for the Williams. Luke, Come on, man. Luke, Lucas, while still setting it up, uh, after setting it up as hereditary, Lucas then goes and in the prequels sets up the Jedi Order as a bunch of celibate monks. <laughs> like, if, yeah. it's, if it's hereditary, yeah. Why, yeah, are, I know. I'm just, why aren't they uh, having yeah. kids? I'm just saying, like, the, the, the original trilogy, the Force is strong in my family. And that's the other thing. The Force Awakens, speaking of Ray's parentage, the Force Awakens trailers lean heavily on you know my father has it my sister has it like they lean so yeah, heavily yeah. on the idea that ray is related to somebody which again makes me have the fear that jj really wanted ray to be related to somebody ryan didn't but jj gets to have the last word i think it's a red herring i think it's a red herring and i have faith that there's no conflict between jj yeah, abrams that's, that's and what, Va- that's what vader said too we know how that turned out oh right. come on <laughs> so my understanding I, is that uh, is that ryan already wrote the Ryan, I call him Ryan. We call each other every Thursday night. It's cool. I don't. But, but I don't, my, my understanding is that you already him, laid out the plot for episode nine. Yeah, and, and, I, mean, and, and, and I know take, I've made this joke before, it. but um, JJ's mystery boxes hold like Schrodinger's cats. I don't think he's. I don't, I don't think he's married to the idea of setting up a mystery that, yeah. that, you know, when revealed or when built upon, he he rejects because that was not his original idea yeah i'm sure i'm sure he'll do what's needed but i don't know we'll, we'll, we'll see like you could you could make yet more turns but i think we are kind of tired of being yanked around with the ray thing i think it should just go with what yeah, they yeah, established yeah, yeah. yeah i think no, it should go no that, i think will say gotta I, be solved. I, yeah i as uh, you know what luke was the original trilogy ray clearly is to this trilogy she is if you you know in a cast of dozens and like you said if anything they they're struggling with too many characters uh, to fit in a in a two and a half hour movie she's clearly though the the protagonist and i think she's just i I think she's well written and i think daisy ridley was i i I, it's the definition of good casting is i can't imagine any other actress in a role and and she she carried she carried force awakens because like like put someone else in that role she has to be amazing in that movie there's a lot of weight on her shoulders and she carries it she is amazing yep 
ever from the from in in both movies you know i love and and to me i compare it to uh, the first act of wally where it's all nonverbal, mm-hmm. her her her, setup. her, yeah. her working her working as a junker on Jakku, uh, but that's not easy. That is, I I don't think that's easy for. I I, I mean, I'm not. I can't act to save my life, but uh, I I think that of of all the forms of acting, being the only character on screen, not communicating or talking to anybody, and trying to convey interest and intent, and you know, her scratching days off the wall and everything, and and. I don't know. I just, I, I really do feel like it's a, it's, it's, she's the best thing going in the whole, the whole trilogy. And it's really, really well done on the writer's parts, the casting parts, the director's parts, and certainly Daisy Ridley's part. I expect her to go on to great things. I think, you know, she's obviously, you know, it, it, you know, the schedule of these movies is going to, I don't think I've seen her in any, I don't think she's been in anything else yet, but I, I, uh, I foresee. Murder on the Orange Express. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. I haven't seen it. So that's great that she's in something like that. But I, I foresee if I could buy stock in an actor's career, I would buy I would buy a lot of stock in Daisy Ridley. Yeah. Anything else that you guys want to talk about before we wrap this up? I, I have one thing I'll say, and it ties in. It's <laughs> to the same scene. Uh, Syracuse's observation that the lightsaber, Kylo Ren's lightsaber spins before, and that gives him the idea to spin the other lightsaber. Mm-hmm. Totally Hitchcockian filmmaking right. where right. He, he lets the audience he he there's he doesn't try to surprise the audience with that lightsaber going through red, uh, uh, Snoke. He's like, oh, you know, we get like a full 30 seconds of knowing that that's his plan and we get to worry about whether Snoke is going to notice it and foil it. That is cinematic suspense. And it right. is true. I mean, the, the, the Hitch, Hitchcocking thing is that if you put a bomb under a seat in a movie theater. Um, right. The suspense show isn't, the audience the bomb. Show the audience, like show the people watching the movie the bomb, but you don't show the people falling in the bomb, right. Uh, right. because now you know something that they don't know, and you are horrified about it. Uh, this works and, the opposite way in that you know something that Snoke doesn't know, and it works amazingly well. The other Hitchcockian element to Snoke in that same scene is the. I would analogize it to Janet Lee in Psycho, where mm-hmm. Janet Lee was this huge movie star and her name was above the title in Psycho and she gets killed 20 minutes into the movie, yeah. which is unheard of before or since, really. You could count on one hand how many times the biggest <laughs> name Steven actor. Seagal, an executive decision? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's right up there with Janet Lee, right? Right. <laughs> Uh, I I have to admit, the first time watching this, I, I I was under the assumption that Snoke was going to foil it. You know, it'd be like, oh, you thought that was going to work? No, you know. Uh, yeah. uh, so him actually dying in the second movie, not the third movie, was a total uh, Hitchcockian. Yeah, you thought you know where this was going, and we were setting up a big. Uh, you're going to kill somebody. You know, Ray's going to kill Snoke in the third movie. Forget right. it. We're, this is we're... not going to end the way you think it will. Right. And I really, really thought that was pretty clever and really well done and, and satisfying and exciting and, uh, to, you know, it satisfied that part of my brain that wants wants this movie to show me things that I'm not expecting. You know, don't make me feel like I'm five seconds ahead of the movie. Make me feel like I'm catching up to the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only other thing I want to add well is I think that it will serve this trilogy well to have a significant time jump before the third movie. They, yes, they, I totally yes. agree. They don't need do to they, have do one, the op- but they should have one because right. it, it 
It opens because look where we have we have the entire resistance fitting on the Falcon, and uh, they right. they've sparked something off, and they've got the the ending of this one with the little boy with the broom. I'm not sure it lands because I don't really care about that boy, but I get what they're trying to say. Um, but you need time to pass. You need time. Th- now you yep. need time for the rebellion to come back to something. You need that spark to something right. to happen. So as far as I'm concerned, they could start the next movie where the rebellion has the first order on its heels and they feel like they're close yes. to victory yes. and that, that, you know, the yep. conflict could be about like, but how are we going to resolve the Ray Kylo thing? Like they have many, many possibilities, but I feel like now it's time for a time jump. I, and I, I think agree. it needs to get to the point where where Ray as the new Luke needs to be like Luke at the beginning of Return of the Jedi, where right. she's she at the beginning of the next movie she already considers herself a Jedi Knight. She's she's done that much yeah, work. She got a and new outfit. Right. She, she maybe constructed yeah. a new lightsaber. Yeah. Well, she I mean she took the books right, so yeah. be she needs up. a hood. She needs a hood. She she's needs a hood. Get a hood. A hood would be great. <laughs> I mean, the other thing is that. Uh, I mean, the the time jump just makes sense. We we can't just follow this on one from another. Um, right. If we don't get a time jump, we get, I mean, the, the fundamental thing, and, you know, may she rest in peace, is that uh, Carrie Fisher has passed. And mm. I would be surprised if the next movie didn't address that some way as putting some time between the movies and during that time uh general leia had you know established uh some kind of system or or general rule set they can explain her in the the call they can say you know blah 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 general leia has uh you know died in the battle whatever died from old age or the resistance inspired by their late general like you could do that in the crawl you could have the opening scene right but yeah i mean right but but what i mean is we need some time right like we we need to have time between this one and the next one in order to sort of uh like you know Pull the reset button a little bit. We, and, and as for, we can't do what right. we did last time, which was like, hey, I'm giving you a lightsaber. And, yeah. you know. And right. as for Ryan Johnson having the the script to the third one, I think the script was written when Carrie Fisher was still alive. So there's already yeah. a couple of monkey yes, wrenches thrown in no, there. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, they've and, and in fact, Disney has even acknowledged or somebody acknowledged on the record that that's you know, Carrie Fisher had a major role in the, the original, you know, first draft of, of the next movie. Like it's, you know, that's a problem. She was, she and, thought and, she'd be alive for it. Right. Well, I mean, also, and uh, they have said that they will not recreate her digitally. They, right. they won't. I mean, that's a good, good call. Right. Carrie thought, Fisher, I, I, she I rest they... in peace is gone. And it, it, it is one of those human corporate moments where, uh, you know, they won't do it. They just yeah. I think they could do you know, it if they wanted to. I think they'll. Oh, I they think could, they'll probably but kill they her. won't. Yeah. Well, I think they'll probably kill her in the crawl. Yeah. Like, like Syracuse said, I think if they wanted to explain it in the opening scene of the movie and have some kind of battle going on, where Leia's on a, a doomed ship and is about to be killed, and we only see her from another ship where she's doing one of the fuzzy blue staticky holograms. That they could, that I I don't. Uh, I guess some people would be offended even by it that. It won't happen. If, they know, didn't even let. So right. Luke yeah, didn't right. find. Luke didn't die in violence. Yeah, I don't think Luke so. is a pacifist. Right, right, right. He died. Right. 
I, I don't think they'll using do that. I think all that's of his energy, way, though, and that was it. And he died it, in peace. If they're going to show Leia dying, I think the only way they could do it would be like by hologram or something. Like they can't, they mm-hmm. can't try to CGI the actual Carrie Fisher in like they did in Rogue One. You know, no, no, it's no. funny though because <laughs> they, it's so funny. Do you think it, it's it's such a weird question? But they're not going to put Carrie Fisher in as a f- CGI sixty year old woman in Episode Nine. But if Carrie Fisher had happened to die before Rogue One. Would they still have CGI'd in young nineteen-year-old Carrie Fisher at the end of that yeah, movie? All these so you the think second, it's about so the second time I saw, go ahead, John. I, I'm going to say like you think it's a corporate, uh, you know, respecting her wishes and being respectful. But I, I'm sure lawyers are involved, and I'm pretty sure that uh, Carrie Fisher was savvy enough to say, "Is there something I can do involving lawyers and contracts to make sure that this thing I don't want to happen actually doesn't happen?" So I bet she's actually tied some hands, and she was on board, obviously, with the the Rogue One one, and I think she was explicitly not right. on board with cgiing her into future movies so well no i don't know that she would have had any thought i mean who the hell thinks they're gonna die but i mean, you know, I mean especially I don't think if you were the person who was prominently cg'd into another movie and they got your approval for it you'd be it would be yeah. in your head to be thinking about do you want them to do that with you well, what i what i saw from uh kathleen kennedy was just that we we just you know we just loved her so much and we just don't think it'd be right we know it wouldn't play well and we're just not going to do it but i'm going with the human yeah I'm right. go- I'm going with Cooper's human interpretation of this. Where, right. guess what? Right. It could be some lawyers, but I, even She's if they a have family a member, we're, we're not going to do Star- that. I think yeah. Carrie Fisher's savvy enough to know that yeah, Kathleen Kennedy's your friend, and you're all yeah. on board in the same page. But Star Wars is now a franchise that's going to outlive all these people, including Kathleen Kennedy. Yeah. Like, and you know, it's it's, it's forward yeah. thinking enough to say this franchise could go on and on and on. And if you don't want to be CG'd into every movie, do what you can to try to make that not happen. So, yeah. I mean, this was, well, last year. Uh, I, I, second time I saw the movie, I'd, uh, I took my friend Adrian, and uh, it happened to be the day that Carrie Fisher died. And we didn't know that. So we were, you know, we bought tickets to Rogue One. We got up to the, to the popcorn desk, and the guy is literally in tears. I'm like, uh, are you okay? Like, what's going on? I like, oh, Carrie Fisher died. And um, Adrian hadn't seen the movie yet. I'm like, okay. Well, that sucks. And he gave us our popcorn and our, our you know, our, our sodas for free because he was like, screw it. Carrie, <laughs> Carrie Fisher's dead. Everybody, I literally don't care. <laughs> yeah. Right. So we went to see the movie, and, uh, you know, right at the last minute, Carrie Fisher in CGI pops up, and I couldn't help but cry, even though I knew it was coming. I mean, uh, you know, I definitely teared up. Um, and after the movie, I had to explain this, like, yeah, look, she died today, and that was, you know, touching. And when I sat down for this new movie, um, I don't know. I mean, the first time Kevin Fisher came on screen, that it stung a little bit, right? Yeah, he, it did. Yeah, it really did. Yeah, it, it it it's so great that she was so good in a movie and had yeah. such a good role, you know. But it really there was there was such a. Uh, it played so differently than it would have, even if it, uh, who knows, it may not have changed one single edit of her scenes, mm-hmm. but it played so differently in my chest, 
you know, in, in my tear ducts than it, than it would if Carrie Fisher were alive. In the yeah, world. Exactly. Especially really, that last yeah. scene with her and Luke, that scene looks for all the world yeah. like it was written after she was already dead, but that yes. obviously could not have been true because she's in it. Right. right. It, it, but it really does play that way. Right. Um, Anything else? I, I I feel like it's almost criminal not to at least mention Laura Dern and oh, her yeah. Admiral on, on, on that, there is a little bit of follow-up from the previous episode. And, and The Incomparable, I was talking about how there was a dialogue scene between Laura Dern and Poe that looked like it was edited crazily. And I couldn't understand why everyone else in the theater wasn't turning their head to look at me and going, you're all seeing this, right? Like, this is not – something is wrong with the editing of this very simple over-the-shoulder back-and-forth yeah. dialogue scene. And since doing that podcast, I have learned that in that scene, apparently uh, – kind of like Woody in Toy Story, uh, that uh, Holdo, Laura Dern's character, was originally much more mean to Poe and dismissive and cranky at him, and they changed their mind and wanted her to be not so mean to him, not so dismissive and belittling, but to be, you know, more of like not telling him what's up, but not being mean to him. But they had, they, they didn't have reshoots for that, so they had to slice together the footage they had with the, the the dubbed in dialogue of the lines they wanted her to say and the way that they wanted her to say them. So it's like, watch it when it comes on video. I don't know if they actually do reshoots, but right. it's, it's cut crazily. Like in the middle of people's yeah. sentences, you go back and forth to the other person because they can't show the lips because the lips don't match the words. Right. And right. that is a, that's one of those things that's like, well, it's movie making, you know, it doesn't always come out the way you want. It just, it's strange to me that they didn't bother to do a reshoot for that because that, that part of the movie looks like the movie is broken. And I'm glad there's an explanation yeah. for it, but it's like, yeah, do the research. It was an interior on the spaceship. It's an yeah. over-the-shoulder dialogue yeah, shot. Yeah, like, yeah, just yeah. do it. Did you ever see, the, the, did you ever notice that in, in Rogue One, the scene between Jin Erso and uh, uh, Che Guerrero, what's his name? Whatever, uh, Forrest Whitaker's yeah, you character's you name. <laughs> erased his name from my head by saying that. Something Guerrero. Saw Guerrero. Saw Guerrero. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that scene was rewritten and they didn't have footage for and the first time i saw it i was like this scene is there is this is so weird there's like no two shots of the two of them in a room together it it, it's it's clearly i don't know what the original emotional bond to make everything else work and it, it didn't happen right right it's like the original scene was shot where he was playing the video from her father explaining his you know secret trap in the death star and and it must have been with like an entirely different character and they're like well this should be Jin instead of somebody else and they they didn't bother to get them together to reshoot it and so they just shot it, 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 it that it works as well as it does shows how good they're they are at film editing but it, <laughs> if you're looking at it it it's the fact that there's no two shots of showing the two people together in the room it's like it, it really sticks out Anyway, that's interesting. Right. And a movie with a budget like this <laughs> and the amount of money it's making that they yeah, well, they you know, every movie, it. no movie has free money. Like you know, they still like yeah, right. that's 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 the hard part of movie making. Um, and and as for Holdo, like her trying to teach Poe lessons in this environment is not great. Uh, both Luke and oh. Holdo, two times in the same movie, you have someone not telling other people their plan, uh, either as a way to teach them or just as a way to add tension. Like Luke should have told them, "Hey, I'm going to stall them. You guys escape." But he didn't because we because they wanted us to have the moment of Poe figuring it out and the audience figuring it out. But that's a bad idea. Like Luke, tell everybody, my plan is to go out there and stall you guys escape. Uh, don't let Poe figure <laughs> it out uh, during his thing because it's stupid. Uh, Holdo, tell Poe your plan. Oh, I shouldn't tell him. He was just demoted, blah, blah, blah. Look, if you know Poe is a no. hothead and you're afraid he's going to go do something yeah. crazy, <laughs> the smart thing to do is to tamp him down. You don't have to tell him the plan. You just have to 
tell him that you have a plan as as anthony johnson was saying yeah. on a different comparable episode like good leadership is realizing you've got a problem with his hothead neutralize yes. him don't have to bring him in on the details of the plan because you're afraid he'll leak it or mess it up or whatever but just don't do what you did which is essentially uh not say anything and let him spin off into oblivion with his like well if you're not going to do anything i'm going to save him like you see that happening you got to stop it so that was some silliness from holdo and i don't like those kind of sitcom plot lines where like if you just talk to her for two seconds, this whole plot thread would be like you get. I give you an allowance for those. But I think they're just a little bit over budget. So i I would follow Laura Dern into the into the mouth of hell. Uh, that character was great. I loved what she ended up doing. Uh, the fact that she didn't want to inform Poe made a little bit of sense in that uh, he just got a bunch of people killed. I know, but, but you know and he's exactly the type of person who's going to come up with a harebrained scheme on his own. I So here's where I agree with you, is that her failure as to be a great leader was that she didn't sort of recognize that. And at least say, as Anthony Johnson says, uh, at least, you know, tell us that there is a plan. And not just Poe. Like, everybody on that ship, part of being a leader is to let people know that you're in good hands. Like, I, you don't might not know what I'm doing, but no, we, no, we have no, a plan yeah, and we're executing yeah, it. Everybody no. on that ship seemed like, I mean, and this this is a, not just our character, but it's a problem of filmmaking. I think the film wanted you to believe well, that's it. that yeah. everybody on the ship was okay with it except for Poe, but it just seemed like she was being kind of non-communicative. Well, no, because, I mean, Leia's daughter was all... I mean, yeah, that's right. Sorry. That's what I was saying. That's what undercuts it. Like, like all of the people the, that we thought were the Leia's good like, guys daughter, were... Sorry. Right. Yeah, she's, she's on started. the bridge. So it's, if there's anything yeah. going, if you think, if you're supposed to believe that the entire bridge crew understands that there's a plan, that's not put in the movie because the one helping Poe out is. So, you know. so while I agree with you, um, Laura Dern, uh, Haldo, does not know how they are being tracked through hyperspace. I know, but they didn't. That's the thing. They didn't play that up either. That's, they didn't play that up. People are headcanning right. like maybe there's a traitor. You need like one line or a look. To establish I that, agree. and they didn't yeah. do it. Like, yeah. if maybe you got cut or whatever. Yeah. Like, there's, you know, a lot of a lot of things can be done slightly differently in that thread. Yeah. I, I think that thread yeah. is. You know, is, what you need you need one line between Leia and her, where Leia's yeah. like, "We're being tracked. I don't know how. Maybe there's a traitor." Let's and, keep and it and hush, like, "Should okay, we tell Poe?" And like, that's that was a it. debate like, whether they should tell Poe. Should we tell Poe? If we don't tell him, he might do something crazy. But if we do tell him, how do we know he's not? I don't know. Like you don't even need to be so explicit. You just I, need to be like, "Look, we're like, being tracked by through hyperspace." And Holdo's yeah, and Holdo's like, "All right, I'm going to shut everything down." Again, I'm not. I'm not expecting scientific rigor on faster than light travel. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I do feel. I do feel that that as a general rule in in sci-fi action movies, I don't like trackers and i don't like cloaking devices because they often just seem like lazy writing and i just wish like i feel like the star wars idea of it, it, no matter what if you can hyperspace away you're free and i feel like i'm okay with saying that something happened that allowed them to track them this time but i think it had to be like a traitor or something you know that's like they what got i malware. really wanted i wanted the traitor in, in star wars uh <laughs> space battles work like car chases or airplane fights they don't work like Star Trek things where there's cloaking and nebulas and stuff like that. And so right. they brought a lot of that stuff in, which is fine. I just, I mean, the light speed ramming is a real problem if you think about it for more than three seconds. Yeah. Uh, but I, right. I yeah. mostly give it to them. You can headcanon it away. It's a dramatic scene. It works. Like, that's the thing with, with this particular thread. 
I'm willing to give it like 60% of what it takes, but it go it takes a little bit too much and, and fumbles a few things. So this is, it's not right. as weak as the Canto Byte thread, but it's not as strong as the Ray Kylo thread. Yeah. But I really dug Laura. I, I don't, I, again, there's some problems with the writing in terms of what she does, especially early, but I really dug the gravitas of her character. That's what we're like, going I with bought there. it. Gravitas. I, I, <laughs> gravitas, whatever. <laughs> whatever the word is. Yeah, I, I, I bought it that she was a leader, and, yeah. and I thought that the huh. scene with her and Leia saying goodbye was exactly what I wanted a little more yeah, of exactly. in the, the movie, right. which is a hint of, hey, these two have known each other for like the last yeah, 30 years. and they've been holding this resistance longer. together. Like they're old school, they yes. were in the rebellion. And, and, Right. It, 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 I don't know how long that scene was. Was it 90 seconds? I don't know. Yeah, but yes. And not a yeah. whole bunch of lines of dialogue. And some of it is sort of like just so super Star Warsy, where they both say, you know, may the force be with you at the same time. And Leia says, hey, you, you know, I've said it enough. You say yeah. it. Uh, yeah. A bunch of know, that, by the way, was the, punched up by Carrie Fisher. I know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently that, that idea was Carrie Fisher's. Mm-hmm. Not surprising. But it, it works. It, and, and it's the way they deliver it that it just feels like these are two women who've been like john just said just holding this together yep. with the strength of their personalities and resolve and and their uh being you know knowing that they're on the right side of this um and, and just felt it and and again that's uh, to me that star wars is that hint of you you we get to see the tip of the iceberg and you just sense that there's this other stuff right. underneath that they don't have time to put in and it's yeah. there and that, i really thought that she helped add to that that conversation was the Ord mandel of this movie for me, yeah. which is like, oh man, these two have been through a lot together, yeah. and it, in in some ways it diminishes Poe in that, like, okay, fine, you're a hotshot pilot under some command and whatever. These people are like holding it together, like they're <laughs> they're they're on the, you know, not even just the next level; they're two levels up, holding the resistance. It, you know, and forming it into a, like a, an actionable thing. Yeah. Uh, I don't have anything else. That's that's a wrap for me. I'm unfortunately, I don't think we have time to bring Ryan out of the green room. We'll have to have him on the next time. Yeah. Do, do you yeah, guys have so anything what, else you want to add as a as a final? Well, so what you don't know is that uh, we always have a cavalcade of special guests, and <laughs> this year, and I'm not joking, and and Syracuse knows this, uh, we actually. Have a crew with a microphone back there, and we've been recording them. <laughs> yeah, so, so we'll I'll send like you a, the link uh, to that, like okay. right after the show. <laughs> yeah. Anything else, John Syracuse? Uh, actually, there's probably more stuff, but you know, we just can't go on further. Well, I'll <laughs> we see, can't see talk you all more. in a year or two for the next one, and we'll like like in this uh, podcast, we talk a ton about Star Wars movies that are not the Last Jedi. Uh, next year we'll talk about whatever the new movie is, but also maybe talk more about The Last Jedi. Yeah. All right. Thank you, guys. Happy New Year. Happy holidays. And and I really thank you for your time. Uh, This was a blast.